0: Do, 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 do. <laughs> All right, it's the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 64. And on today that we record it, I'm reminded of uh, from Firefly. Wasn't it Jane said something about it was an auspicious day? <laughs> yeah. Today Boy, what is, happened? Today is an auspicious day for sure. <laughs> um, I'm Adam, and with me always is Richard and Roy.
1: When people are listening to this episode, like 75 years in the future, they're going to go, isn't that the day that the Second War, Civil War started? Mm-hmm. And these guys <laughs> recorded a podcast?
2: You see, this, this shit's sh- going into Smithsonian. This is where President Chance first referenced
1: it. <laughs> you know? From the Republic of the area between Louisiana and Georgia.
0: The landmass between <laughs> Louisiana and Alabama. From the, yeah. which, remind, Our- which reminds me... Um, Ah, oh, Dadgummit! I hate him. He's he's such a fan, and I hate I can't think of his name right now. But he did uh, White Eagle Defiant, Brave Little Bill. Yeah, Ryan Hallman.
1: Oh you, yeah, his giveaway.
0: Well, have you seen the map for his new game? Uh, about yes. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: a futuristic game that takes place here in the U.S. or whatever's left of it, I guess. I think it's like a people versus aliens kind of game.
0: Well, basically, on that map, I now have a riverfront property. So. That, awesome that yes hey, that, congratulations that was, yeah i know i'm excited not sure when that's going to happen wouldn't be surprised if it was this year but uh yeah so there we <laughs> go
2: oh and hey i am uh roy and i live in michigan
1: oh and i'm on rich the west, I, on the I west live side in St. louis and i do <laughs> have well not riverfront property but close enough and you have the
0: riverfront times right
1: we do have the riverfront times yeah. there you go
0: and richard and i are often in uh we are often competing for who has the higher murder rate of uh, st. Hey, st louis
1: well i think we set a record last year you're not gonna beat us
0: yeah st louis versus jackson mississippi and uh <laughs> we're not Gosh,
2: if i only lived in
1: detroit <laughs> it was a it was a t-shirt this is i'm gonna say it was five ten years ago it was when the cardinals were good um and detroit so it must have been the year that St. Louis played Detroit in the World Series because it was a T-shirt that came out and said St. Louis was beating Detroit in murders, herpes, and baseball. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, Roy, I see you've played D&D via Roll20, and I'm always curious to see like how that works because I actually own Fantasy Grounds. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've invested a couple hundred bucks more in it over the holidays, and have still not really fooled around with it. So,
1: how, so what are you what are you investing? in? are you buying like source books and stuff? The that mo- you can the use mo- yeah, the modules
0: okay. and stuff for it because you can get them on Steam. You know that they're done through Steam and oh, okay. and their own website, and they both you know go back and forth different sales or whatever.
1: And, I think pretty soon we're going to be able to do our taxes on Steam
0: uh look i i uh i have participated in a steam sale be it autumn winter whatever that was so boring i actually bought budgeting software (laughs) so i think it was you need a budget something like that i ended up buying oh yeah and it actually works pretty good but
1: yeah uh... And the first thing they told you is you're spending too much money on Steam. Yes.
0: It's like we see here you have and you never played half of these. And I'm like, well, you get so many of them free, you know, through this bundle or whatever. It's not my fault. Yeah. Anyway, Roy, tell me about Roy Roy 20. That's that's his own version, Roy 20 D&D.
2: <laughs> so, uh yeah, this is the high-level game that I've been playing and we're currently 17th level, 18th level. Which, I, you know, it's – boy, howdy, there's a lot to remember. Um, well and let, so I always – yeah, sorry, was, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, let me let me ask you this. Uh, I am – I know this is a weird thing to say, but I am not that familiar with uh, D&D and its leveling system. I just know from – I think the only ones I'm mostly familiar with is like uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics where, you know, you can – you start out really really low and so and you generally stay low uh, you know out of the teens or whatever for that but is like 17 16 17 level is that like a big whatever in D&D? oh
2: yeah that's that's super duper high power stuff so like the the top level spells are ninth level i i can cast one ninth level spell right now um so it's um the the our group of of characters are really kind of a uh, fantasy Avengers I guess. so um yeah it's seventeenth uh, level is very high level. It's the highest level character I've ever played in a in a group. I remember as a kid just kind of fiddling around making high level characters just to you know well let's go beat up a dragon just for the heck of it and I would play by myself because <laughs> I was, lived out in the country and didn't have any friends or anything.
1: Um, and you're playing, like, a ranger?
2: No, I am playing a, uh, a, a shit, a sorcerer.
1: Oh, a sorcerer, okay.
2: Spellcaster.
1: So what warlock. is the coolest thing you can do, your character?
2: Um, so the one of the metamagic feats that I just recently got was transmute uh, spell types. So, like, um, basically you can change the damage type from... Let's say from lightning to acid. So we were we were opposing some tree-like creatures that every time they get hit with with uh, electricity it healed them. So I thought, well, I'm going to transmute this to an acid. So instead of a lightning bolt, you're getting an acid bolt, um, which is a I don't know, I think it's a pretty cool effect. Nice to be able to do. Um, but so like on roll twenty, I typically will have three screens that I'm I'm moving back and forth between one is just a uh, reference document on Google Docs that has like just various notes that I've been taking and everything. And then my character sheet, which is on uh, D&D beyond. And then on Roll20 is the map. And the Roll20 map is a little clunky. Um, And, you know, there's you talked about fantasy grounds. There's um, I've not looked at that interface before. But I know that it's you know it's kind of a competitor to Roll20, and I think there's a third one, and I, the name of it escapes me.
1: Foundry Virtual Tabletop. Foundry,
2: that's it. yeah. yeah. Um, and so I hear that that maybe the Foundry interface is a lot better, um, but Roll20 is what comes with. Well, it's I guess it's, it doesn't come with D&D. That's the the d Beyond. Um, but so it's a it's a interface it's a web interface map where. Uh, you move your character around, and um, there's a chat function. And one of the cool things that uh, we've been using in this group is that there is a plug link that you can make the D&D Beyond website talk to the Roll20 website. So, like, if on your character sheet, you, if there's a spell there you want to cast, you can click the button, and it will flip it over to Roll20 and will display... All the text, uh, all the saves that have to happen. So really, as far as bookkeeping, it's all online, and it you know it it applies all the all the pluses and minuses and everything, and just uh, deals with it on the fly. So anyway, that's uh, I've been playing D and D, and we are uh, the DM tells us that we're probably through March. We'll be uh, end up being 20th level and then probably retire those characters or or bring them back in a kind of a, a, a guesting role or maybe as an NPC or something like that. So he was, uh, saying, he was saying, you know, what do you guys want to do next? What are the, you know, what are the votes here? And, of course, I threw out Dark Sun, and he's like, yeah, well, that's, you know, that'd be great, but I can't really uh, find any... Um, published content he said i'm you know i'm not a i'm not a a ground up kind of guy so he likes to run um pre-published modules that he can tweak and you know make fit his uh his story
1: so he wants something that's dark sun and fifth edition i'm assuming he doesn't want to take like something from an older edition and make it work
2: right well he wants he wants something published that he can this written for fifth edition specifically um, and so the what the fourth item on my list there is Midgard Fifth Edition is maybe the uh, uh, the setting that we'll be headed headed for next in March. Um, so it's based on uh, Norse and Eastern European mythology. So it's dark fantasy game. It's uh, or dark fantasy setting. Uh, put out by Kobold Press. And uh, I don't know. We're gonna start finding our way through that I guess
0: you said what is it called by cobalt press midgard oh okay okay
2: yeah midgard 5e
1: does cobalt press do uh, like PDF versions kind of like drive through RPG I
2: th- uh, you're asking me questions I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, there's, there's the uh, fifth edition version and they also have the it, it published for Pathfinder too um so, yeah, that's uh, probably what we're going to be headed for eventually. So, okay. One of the races was the was the bear folk, bear, bear kin, bear something or other. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of being a bear, and I thought maybe I gave him Kevin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, has to ha- he has to make some chili and um, <laughs> drop it. Yeah.
2: Oh, I was thinking about Kevin Smith.
0: Oh, yeah, I was, thinking Kev- <laughs> Kev- I was thinking Kevin from The Office, so,
1: yeah. I'm just imagining Kevin from The Office as a bear now.
0: <laughs> look, look, it would yeah. wo- if, if Well, it would really work as one of those bearkin things, but you have to do it like the episode where he decided to... Uh, I can be a drummer. No, 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 where he decided to use less words to save time. <laughs> like well, i use
1: many words <laughs>
0: yes yes and just have him talk like that the entire <laughs> campaign that would actually really work so uh
2: and so then I've been playing some um kingdom builder on uh board game arena and um it just seems that just about every week we play a game of six Nymphed which i didn't have on the on the list here but it's a it's a card game in which you have a maybe 15 cards in your hand, numbered 1 through 104. And there's four rows of cards, uh, and you have to play a high... Whatever card you pick, it's going to go... You know, it's going to go higher than whatever one of the rows is. So if 76 is in there, and I play 80... It's going to go with 76, but if 77 is there, it's going to go into a different. It's going to go into the 77 row. And once you get five cards, you have to pick up the whole row, and you get dinged uh, for having to pick up all those cards. So it's a race to the bottom kind of game um, that is with a lot of players just ends up being absolute chaos. Um, but it's a it's a goofy little card game. Um, where you land you, you pick a card and then everybody reveals their cards and they all go down in order. So if you know if the card that you have is like five away from the from the card that you're hoping to lay down next to, if somebody else if the other players have those other four cards then you're hosed because you're gonna end up taking that row. Um, so it's a um, it's kind of a a, a raucous, card game, and it usually ends up with people saying, well, all of these stink. I don't want to play any of this. Um, so that's Six Nymphed. Um, and it uh, seems like we always play a game of Seven Wonders on Board Game Arena. And then uh, I'm currently the the board-
1: expansions for that on BGA?
2: No. Do you know? Okay. No, not that I'm aware of. Just curious. Which I, I like that love game. To- I
1: played it a few times. I'd like to play it more, but I don't actually own it. So...
2: Mm, yeah. The uh, the leaders expansion is the I think the one of the best expansions. I have not played the the Tower of Babel expansion. Okay. Um, I
1: because... play uh, Seven Wonders Duel quite a bit, but I'd like to play the full game. Oh yeah. Sometimes. You know, I
2: played Seven Wonders Duel with my wife last night, and I was just frustrated the whole way along because, <laughs> man, I I had I had no money, and she had <laughs> she was rolling in the dough, you know, like sixteen coins. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's She said, this game was, has never never uh, treated you well, has it?
1: She can build all her wonders because she can just buy the resources.
2: Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, then uh, I've been playing, uh, currently in the middle of a game of Clans of Caledonia right now, which is, and I mentioned that before, you play a Scottish clan who is um, basically expanding across the Scottish Highlands and places you can build... Uh, a whiskey distillery, or a, a bakery, or a cheese shop, or you can have flocks of sheep or cattle, and you're fulfilling contracts. So, if you take a contract for, like one that I have right now, is for uh, a mutton and two cheese. Well, so if I can milk my cows and you know get the cheese from the from the dairy, um, then I can slaughter sheep. I can turn in that contract for you know, whatever it is. Um, so it's it's a game of area control because you're trying to connect all of your settlements together uh, based within your reach. So like you start out with a reach of zero and then the, you can bump that up and have a reach across rivers. Well, then you can bump that up one more. You can have a reach across one space of a lock or you can go up two spaces of a lock. So, you're trying to move around the map and make sure that all of your settlements can see each other based on that shipping power. And so, you're trying to kind of build this network of of settlements and, um, you know, and buildings and things across the map. So, it plays over five rounds, and each round there's a little uh, uh, point bonus for different things. Uh, But that's Clans of Caledonia. Uh, and I, then
0: I, I've seen it before. Um it, it I like the artwork on the front of it is kind of but I always remember it by it. So okay.
1: mm,
2: yeah. Yep. Uh and then finally I've been playing some Terra Mystica. Uh I've been playing uh 2 I've probably played four games thus far. Um and I'm let's see. And I, I don't think I've ever won. I've done okay with them. Um, but I'm about ready to start up one here pretty soon. Um with you guys.
1: Yeah, who are we waiting on? Seems like we're me. waiting. On. Okay. We're waiting on me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna um, Adam and Rich and me and Matt from History on the Table are gonna play some Terra Mystica as soon as as soon as Rich accepts the invite.
1: Oh, is that what what we're waiting on is literally for me to log into the website? Okay, I'm doing that right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's uh, what I've been up to. I looked at that um, and watched the How to Play, which they have linked to it. They're like, oh, we see this is the first time you've ever played this game. Do you know how to play it? If not, click here. And it gives you an option to download the instructions and or watch a video. So I click on the video, and it's like – a dice tower one from like 2015 and it seems pretty straightforward. I think I can figure this out and, uh, yeah.
2: So clans of Caledonia and Terra Mystica share some similarities in that it's you're, you're expanding across the map. Um, and you're basically, you want all of your settlements to see each other, so to speak. So the the, the Terra Mystica also has that shipping track that I talked about. Um, but the thing with Terra Mystica is you can only build on terrain of your color. Um, so the previous game I played, I played the Engineers, and they were all about bridge building. Um, but they can only build on the gray spots. So if I want to expand from where I'm at, I have to transform the, the terrain around me into my color. And so I have to spend uh, workers or something else to get a spade and kind of move it along the color wheel.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, so Adam,
2: what you been up to?
0: Um, the only game I've actually been playing is uh, Roy decided to help me figure out board game arena by playing Yahtzee. And <laughs>
1: about, what's
2: the lamest game that I could come up with that we both know, <laughs> probably know how to
0: play? It? Well, don't well, Candyland. <laughs> well, hold, well, hold on. Um, This may shock some of you, but I don't know how to play Yahtzee. S- huh. So I've just been sort of clicking buttons, you know, in this. It took me about, I think, two turns to figure out how to re-roll certain dice. Which, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Yeah, I, g- I guess before I get way too into sounding super dumb, how... <laughs> How do you actually play Yahtzee? I know you you roll the dice and you can yeah. re-roll up to twice, and you're trying for a bigger number, right?
1: Not necessarily. You're trying to fill out your card. Oh, okay. So you want to you want to take that initial die roll and look at what you still need, and then determine what your best odds your best odds are are filling are for filling something out. Now, obviously, if you get like four of something on the first roll then you've got a good chance of actually getting a yahtzee and you've already got a uh, four of a kind which is going to score a lot anyway but the more things that you fill out on your card the better your score is going to be
2: so there is one role remaining i'm looking at the game here right now there's one role remaining that's adam so maybe we have to like uh have a, a rematch at some <laughs> point
0: oh, okay okay yeah because i'm like yeah, because I'm just going through, because the only thing I can do, because I'm like, I got the thing it says, I've, I've gotten to the point where it's like, you must reroll or score some points, and I'm clicking on it, and it's like, it's not your turn, it's not your turn, you know, and, I, and I'm clicking, you know, down on this thing. I never understood, like, what the green things were on the side, so, okay, I <laughs> I understand now, I've just been trying to score points, and I was doing well, I'd, I'd pull ahead of Roy, you know, like, every turn, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't score anymore. It would be like no 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 you have to take zero you have to take zero, because you don't. Yeah, have, you because
1: don't, mm, if you already have those rows or those columns filled out. Now some people you can play Yahtzee different ways. You can play it with like three columns or two columns or one column, um, so you'll get multiple choices and the games take longer. But in any case, if your if your row is full, even if you get that and it's worth a lot, if it's full you just can't have it. So. Mm-hmm. And so there's one roll left time,
2: for Adam. And it's a, it's a Yahtzee, so you need to get five of a kind.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So just do that, and you'll be fine.
0: So basically, like, what I have to do on that one is just I have to select all the dice and just and attempt to reroll it, I guess. So. Well,
2: you have two sixes well... right now, so hang on to the <laughs> sixes and get rid of the, everything
0: else. It's like, if I can, though, I don't, yeah, can I even do that? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, come on, come on. It's like, yeah, uh you're not going to listen to the Dice Tower and have
1: them talk about Yahtzee, so... Oh, I can't wait till I get to teach them ASL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. ASL so, and Yahtzee are about the same complexity. Sure. Um,
0: so, <laughs> it won't even let me re-roll it. It's like, I, I I, try to click on the sixes or whatever, and it says, it's not your turn. And then I click on, like, re-roll, it says, it's not your turn. So, like, if I refresh the, the page, um, it says, I must re-roll dice or score points. So yeah, and when I try to do all that it just says it's not my turn. What the hell's going on with Board Game Arena? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well there are no rerolls in ASL, so I mean you'll it's it's a much simpler game actually.
0: Oh damn, that reminds me I still haven't called that guy. I mentioned last thing that he Yeah, <laughs> oh, fuck, what am I I've just been too busy and too much shit's going on. I went back to work and yeah, there was a ton of stuff to do and whatever.
1: Okay. You notice that work really gets in the way of gaming.
0: It it does, although you not
1: quite as much when we're working from home and my laptop is next to my work computer, but still.
0: So uh, I I play
2: Terra Mystica off of my phone when I'm supposed to be working.
0: <laughs> so I mean, yeah, work is difficult, but you know, you need the work to be able to buy the game. It's it's a whole thing. So hmm. uh so the other stuff uh I've been doing over the holidays. You know, there were a few sales here and there. And I will say, I'm, I'm still hitting F5 on the uh, NWS site, waiting on uh, the promised holiday sale or whatever. But I understand that, like, the poor guy's having some trouble, like, with his dad or, or something. So he's gotta... I didn't know
1: NWS did sales, like holiday sales, you know.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he huh. normally does a Black Friday sale for sure. Because I normally spend way too much fucking money on it. But he didn't do it this year. And he was like, well... I'll, he's like, I'm having some family issues. Um, so I'll do it at Christmas. And he didn't. And it's just been kind of... It hadn't heard from him. So, I mean, he's... I think his dad's in poor health or something. So I'm assuming he's dealing with that. So... Uh, all that to say... Um, I normally spend a bunch of money on miniature games that I will you know, probably never play. So, over the holidays, I've been spending a bunch of money on role-playing games that I probably will never play. So, um, I, that, yeah, I dove kind of into the old-school renaissance. I, you know, kind of got a bunch of those, because they really appeal to me. And, uh, I don't know if I ever mentioned it on the show, but I'm a huge fan of the concept of the Mega Dungeon. So, the, yeah. The,
1: I, I appreciate that you said the concept, because often those things are, are cooler when you're not actually doing them.
0: <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I've never played one, so I don't actually know. But I have bought a shitload of books on them and read them. What, what fascinated me the first time was some—it um, was an advertisement for Mountain. one of the versions of it. That's the classic Mega Dungeon— not the first one, or I, I think even the second one, but it's probably the one people know most of from D and D. I think it's, gosh, it's it's been in every edition of, oh yeah, uh, of D and D since I've been aware of D and D. So
1: yeah, and they have it in fifth edition as well.
0: Yes, yes, and because uh, it's they roll it's Dungeon of the Mad Mage, I think in the yeah. fifth edition. So I've just been fascinated by it because I saw this advertisement and it was it was really grim. It it talked about like it's taken from the point of view of the surviving members of a party, and it talks about like you know something ate the wizard three days ago. We you know we ate our last bit of food yesterday and all that and we're lost and blah 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 in under mountain. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And then I first saw like the map of it. And if you ever, like, see the map of it, you're like, holy shit, it's enormous, you know? And that's just so really, really cool to me. So I picked up a couple of things. Uh, One of them is Stonehill Dungeon, which I got a physical copy of it uh, through Lulu. If you're... uh, Okay, I'm not familiar, but if you play OSR stuff, uh, you know who Michael Curtis is. I know the dude has his own, like, role-playing subreddit. Um and so he did this big mega dungeon called Stonehell and i liked the idea of it uh i ordered it and um i got i i i ran across what is essentially uh king dingling of the of uh mega dungeons it is like the motherfucking mega dungeon it doesn't get any more mega or more dungeony than the halls <laughs> of Arden Vol. I ran into this on drive Through RPG and I'm like, holy shit, this is right up my alley. Because it has uh five volumes. It is a five volume mega dungeon. And you could get it, you could get the complete version of it in a PDF, mind you, for $109. <laughs> so it's it's enormous, absolutely enormous. So I ordered like the first two volumes of it, and they came into today, and I'm just utterly fascinated by them and just hundred nine
1: dollars for PDF It better have like state secrets on it
0: uh, well, or at least be like fifteen hundred <laughs> pages because uh, I, I was trying to look at that real quick to see on drive through RPG if it says how many pages it is. I don't know, let me see okay.
2: Gosh, this artwork, you know, I was thinking the other day about, do you remember as a kid when it, like, it was, like, I guess, Adam, maybe you're accepted from this, when it was cold and snowy out, and, like, it was a snow day, and you were, you know, you went and was at somebody's house? And, like, maybe he went out and went sledding for a little bit, and then, like, he came in, and he, there was that kind of that smell of, of musty snow, and maybe there was kind of a grilled cheese involved in there. <laughs> and he started playing some D&D.
1: Hot chocolate and marshmallows. Yeah.
2: I just that, – that's such a comforting feeling. And you know how smells are, are really tied to um, – To
1: memory, yeah.
2: Yeah. There was just – and I – i I keep trying to identify what it was it kind of it must be the weather kind of brings me back to that well it's we can't go to school so you got to go out and and have fun for the day and you know maybe we'll we'll roll some dice around and i remember just yeah
1: those days are over now we are not gonna have snow days anymore I don't know if it's oh, yeah. where you guys are, but well, Adam, you'd never get a snow day. But yeah, they announced here that there's not gonna be snow days anymore. It'll just be Zoom days.
0: Those oh, bastards! Wow. Those bastards at Zoom. I know wrecking things for kids. Uh, okay, wait, wait. We have snow days in Mississippi. Oh,
1: like if it if it if it snows in Tennessee, you get a snow day in Mississippi.
0: Mm-hmm. If it, if it if it snows and quote unquote sticks. <laughs> which is literally, we'll have, like, in less than an inch. Like, ha- can you even imagine, like, there is half an inch of snow on your uh, grass. It's already melted off your roof and everything. Just half an inch <laughs> on your grass, and we just shut down everything. They're like, oh, my God, people are going to die. We, we've got to shut it all down. No one will survive driving to work. Close everything. So, so okay, Roy, you were talking— you were talking about. Sorry, I've,
2: I've kind of spun you out from where you were headed, but.
0: <laughs> uh, you were talking about like the artwork is very. It is very uh, reminds you of that time, right? Yeah. Larry yeah. Elmore. Yeah, it's it's that OSR, that old school Renaissance, or old school role playing. It's I I kind of dig it from that because yeah. it all looks. Didn't they like
1: publish that. a coffee table book of his artwork a year or two ago?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds With all that familiar. stuff. But all right, okay, we uh. The pay, I've grabbed my volume one of uh, the Halls of Ardenvold, and it has uh, basically 315 pages in it. So let's do a little math here. Uh, let's do oh. 315 times 5. So, You're say,
2: looking like 1,600.
0: Yeah, just under 1,600. So in theory, the Halls of Ardenvold complete for $109, you get about a 1,500-page uh, thing there. Big-ass big PDF big that would— I've had, like, computers or whatever before that would just crash if you tried to open one that big, so I don't know. It's up to you. Wouldn't open that all— Oh, yeah, I've had crappy uh, iPads, too, that would never, ever open one up that size, so.
2: Anyway. <laughs> That's uh, $0.07 cents a page.
0: <laughs> what a deal. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's what I've been doing is kind of buying into OSR and stuff. And, but I've kind of dove into several different me- uh, Mega Dungeons. The other one I'm interested in, if and when I get the stimulus, um, is called Barrow Mage. I'm sorry, Barrow Maze. And it's another big multi-volume Mega Dungeon. I just, I man, I really dig reading them. And reading just, because it's, it's little bite-sized snippets of like, this is what the room is. And they describe it. And they may describe like the lore of it or whatever, and it's just it's just really cool. I love the the amount of thought and stuff people put in that. Plus the big maps are cool. I think if I ever tried to run that, I would just get completely lost on like where people are and yeah, oh where are we? I don't know, we're we're lost. I'm just gonna switch to a random page and that's where we'll be. That's what I have to do. And uh, the other thing, only other thing I've done is I registered for an LLC today for my Siege of Vicksburg tabletop gaming convention, hopefully coming in October of this year. So mm. I'm, I'm moving toward that. I'm And you can follow along at siegeofvicksburg.org. And uh, I've been kind of uh, running up spreadsheets and stuff like that for costs. It is like a really weird thing, you know, when you want to do a convention it's kind of really hard to find someone to ask questions of. Like, you know, okay, if I do this, you know, what did you pay for that? And, you know, um, can I use this as a tax write-off? Does that work? You know, there's all this crazy, crazy stuff that you want to do if you're just trying to do a kind of a decent size, more anything above like, hey, I'm just going to have a wargaming weekend with like 15 of my buddies. You know, so it's... So it's
1: actually, just, I was going to ask you, pretty much just that jump you know, forward in time to November or whatever. You just finished up your con. What would you consider to be a successful first con for you? Like uh, how, how big was it?
0: Well, see, that's the thing is I don't know size wise for me. Assuming,
1: assuming that COVID is out of the picture.
0: For me, it's going to have to be uh, I was able to operate in the black. Or near enough to the black that it was worth it, and so that's what I'm having a look at. But
1: you probably don't know what those numbers are until you pick a venue, uh,
0: right? Because it's going to be how can I make money on this? Like so, you got to look at vendors, and then you have to look at, um, you know, ticket sales, how mu- how mu- how much and how many, and which will give me this, and then we subtract what I had to pay for the whole thing, and yeah. So it's really weird. It's, it's probably the biggest kind of undertaking I've ever done and just kind of doing it by myself. And so, yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, that being said, I did register for Historic KC Fest and I plan on being there.
1: Yeah, me too. That's that's uh, my uh, my I've got two conventions. There's there's several that I want to go to next year, but. That one and one here in St. Louis are the two that are on my my permanent ink list. So
0: if everything works out, it, I will go to Historic KC Fest, come back to Mississippi for two days, and then go to Gen Con. <laughs> <laughs> that's just yeah, if if it all works out. But yeah, that's that's it for me. Uh what have you been doing, Rich?
1: Uh, so I took, uh, about a week and a half off, uh, or basically the, the week between Christmas and new year, plus the long weekend ahead of that. So, um, and just mostly just played a bunch of family games. So played games that my wife and my girls like. So, um, we played paperback, which I'm sure I've talked about this one before, but it's, it's a really good game, um, You can't get it in the game store, so I think you have to. I think it's one of those ones that you have to get from the uh, publisher. But it's a card game. Uh, It's a deck builder where you you build words. So it's a combination deck builder and Scrabble, you want to say, or something. Um, And you you know, you buy different word cards. You get bonuses for having longer words and using more complicated letters and stuff like that. But um, it's not really a short game. It usually Usually we can only kind of fit one of those in an evening because it'll take a couple hours to play usually, um, but but it's fun. Everyone enjoys it. The whole family. Um, out of the four of us, I pretty much always come in last place. And in fact, I think when we played it a couple weeks ago, I got my all-time low score. I got like 18 points, and I think you start with five, <laughs> and I only got 18. So uh, usually the winner gets 50 or so, and so. I'm not very good at it, but it's, it's a fun game. And then we played Sonar, which is like the diminutive version of Captain Sonar. Um, maybe, do you guys know anything about either of those two games?
0: I w- have always wanted to play it.
1: So Captain Sonar, honestly, if you have eight people and you want a party game, it might be the best eight-person party game. I mean, it's just it's it's wildly fun. Um, But it's an eight person game. You can play it with fewer, but the quality of the game really drops off if you don't have the full eight. So for that reason, I've only gotten to play it a few times. Um, But they came out with a four-person version of Captain Sonar, just called Sonar. Um, And it is just that. It's a slimmed-down version of the main game. Still fun, not as fun, but it's still a good game. Um, It's a little simplistic for my taste. In fact, we are already starting to, like, house rule a couple things to make it a little closer to Captain Sonar while still being only four players. But the way it works, uh, so like I said, Captain Sonar is for eight players sonar is for four players and either way you're going to divide into two teams and you set up a screen in the middle of the table so the teams sit across from each other and you can't see what each other are doing Um, and basically you're just you're two submarines like moving around a map you both share the same map and you mark your map with a dry erase marker where you are and everything Um, but you don't know where the other team started and they don't know where you started but you have to call out your moves so you'll say like north south east west you know surface dive whatever in captain sonar and in the regular one you just say up down left right um and then the other team start. yeah basically <laughs> but the other team is listening to your moves and plotting it on their map and trying to figure out where you are they're like oh he went he went left up and then right again and then up again it looks like he went around this island so I'm going to take your your path that I've been plotting on my map and try to make it fit so that you don't crash into anything. And then when you find out where the other guys are, you can like shoot torpedoes at them and stuff. Um, and the goal is to sink the other submarine. So Captain Sonar is much more complicated. Sonar is very simple, but it also plays in maybe 15, 20 minutes. So, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to learn and you can play. You know, I think we played like three times in an hour or something, so... Um, It's fun. Not as fun as Captain Sonar, but it's it's a trade off between complexity and the ability to actually get it on the table.
2: They should have called it Second Lieutenant Sonar.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then we play Ticket to Ride, which is something that my family always wants to play. So, um, you know, I'm sort of ambivalent to that one. I mean, I, I don't I don't dislike it it's not like Catan where I'm going to groan if we pull it out but it's fine you know it's just it's a game that takes up an evening and they enjoy it so um, have, my... have you
2: played any of the variants
1: we have not played any variants at all all we play okay. is the base set so so like um, the
2: uh, rails and sails sorry go not,
1: ahead oh, oh you're talking about Catan no or Ticket to Ride
2: Ticket to Ride rails and sails
1: no I didn't even know there was I thought for Ticket to Ride all there was with other maps I did play on the European map one time, but usually we just play on the US map.
2: Well there's there's extra rules there. There's the tunnels and the ferries and all that kind of stuff.
1: Oh okay. Interesting. I didn't know about those.
2: So the rails and sails, you're uh, you're taking uh, you know, water voyages too.
1: Okay. Cool.
2: Across the Great Lakes or across um, maybe around the world. I forget about I forget how it uh, what the other side of the map is.
1: Uh okay. I'll have to check that out. Um, and then we played, we played an exit game. So have you guys played either the exit or unlock games?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're fun. Um, with the unlock games, I have played a few of them. This is the first exit game I played and they're, they're basically the same thing. It's a, it's sort of an exit room in a box. Um, the big difference, at least in my limited opinion, or what I've seen is that unlock games you can play and then give to someone else or sell to someone else, maybe. Um, Whereas an Exit game, you pretty much destroy the game as a process of playing it. So at least in the one case that I played it. And so, I mean, it was like, I think we paid like 16 bucks for it, and we got a nights of Entertainment out of it. It's cheaper than going to the movies or whatever. We had a really good time. We enjoyed Mm -hmm. it quite a bit. It's a cooperative game where it's got riddles and puzzles you have to solve as a team. Um, There's a timer, so you get like less than two hours to do it. Um, Some of the games have like uh, more in – there's an electronic app that goes with it. It's free on your iPhone. Um, And the unlock games, it seemed like the app was a little more – uh interactive where in the exit game it was literally just a timer and a soundtrack. Um but we played one called the abandoned cabin where we had just this had to unlock a bunch of different like maybe nine different locks or something before it could get out. And and we had a great time. I mean it was a it was a well spent fifteen or sixteen bucks, whatever I paid for it. Um I do know the unlock games there's uh like a 3-pack for $30 at Miniature Market and it's three Star Wars themed unlock games. So I'm thinking about picking those up as well.
2: I've heard about those. I've uh played a few of the unlock the non-Star Wars ones before.
1: Yeah.
0: I've seen them at uh, GameStop of all places. A lot of oh, times. Really? Yeah, a lot of times in the clearance section, so. No Interesting.
1: Idea. Yeah. Like I said, the exit game, I mean, we literally, we destroyed this game as a process of playing it. We cut stuff up, we folded stuff, we marked on stuff. Um, The few unlock games that I played, you could do that, but you don't have to. So it's very easy to play the game and then give it to someone else. Now, once you've played that particular game, there's no point in playing it again because you've solved all the puzzles, you know the riddles. But you could give it to someone else to play. The exit game, you couldn't give to someone else, so you just got to throw it away
0: that doesn't sound very nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We recycled it, so it was much better. And then we played Clank a few times, actually. Um, That's always a fun one to play. Um, Clank is a little dungeon-delver deck-builder game. We played... um, we have the Underseas expansion. We didn't play that this time. Usually we play on the like the back map of the initial game. Um, they sell a bunch of other maps for it, and there's some other versions, like Clank in Space. We played a couple months ago, and there's like an Acquisitions Incorporated. There's a Legacy Clank. There's lots of different versions. But honestly, the, the base game is fun. I mean, I wouldn't mind having a couple extra maps, but really the game is different enough each time that you play it, even if you play on the same map every time. There's a ton of cards in the deck. Um, so it's, it's going to be a, a different game each time. And that's another one where my, my college age daughter usually just wails on us. But, uh, for the first time ever, our 11 year old won. she got like 130 points, which is pretty good score. So, yeah. And then that was the end of the family games. I was done with that. So I came home and hopped right back into war games. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this one I actually got for Christmas. It's called Labyrinth, the war on terror. Um, it's a card game. It's a card-based war game. It's a Volko-Runka game. So if you have played a coin game, Labyrinth feels very much like a coin game. It's not in the coin system, but there's enough similarities that I think it's a good comparison. But it's a two-player game. You play the, uh, the U.S. <laughs> – you could say like the – it's it's the us really versus the the islamists terrorist forces and basically the islamists are just trying to make islamic governments and the us is trying to build up good governments and the if the us wins if they can kill all the terrorists on the board islamists win if the, if they can set off a nuke inside the us um, but it's a fun game it's there's a single player version of it but i don't like it at all it's it's just there's like a, one significant change to the way the cards are played that just makes it not the same game to me. But as a two-player game, I've played it a few times and I really enjoy it. So and there's actually a couple expansions for that too. Um it the game initially came out a while ago. It's called Labyrinth the War on Terror. But then there's been two expansions ever since. One is I can't remember what the first expansion was called, but the last one just came out a year or two ago and it's called the Forever War. But it's it's mostly there are some rule changes, but there's also new cards with updated events, you know, things that have happened in the War on Terror just in the last few years. Now, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, it's 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 literally an ongoing war. So I think that it's fascinating in that respect.
0: Now, um, you can get it on Steam, right?
1: Yes, and I have been playing that way. I have it on my table as well, but I've been playing friends online on Steam.
0: Okay, that's cool. Do both yeah. do both need to actually own the uh game in order to play?
1: I think so, yeah. And it's it's actually still on early access on Steam, so it's cheaper than it will be when it finally comes out, but I haven't noticed any problems in early access. So,
0: they're always on It seems like every damn thing is in early access. It's like it yep. just stays there. Uh which does remind me I picked up Gloomhaven last time it went on sale, but I haven't tried it yet.
1: Yeah. Whenever they release multiplayer... There's a lot of these games like Gloomhaven, um, they don't have multiplayer for yet. Um, Spirit Island is another one that just doesn't make sense to me that they don't have multiplayer, but they don't. But when those games have multiplayer, I can see myself playing them on Steam a lot more.
0: Oh, that... Because
1: it's nice nice to have instant setup of the game.
0: Uh, It reminds me, um, because it's on Steam, I over christmas my oldest uh i saw her on uh, amazon ordering a board game and i was like what you you ordered a board game why why don't you talk to me you know it's hey <laughs> i probably already
1: have it <laughs> you know,
0: i'm over here uh and it was mysterium and uh okay i think it's i have picked it up on um steam and i want to say roy's talked about playing it before maybe uh, Is that the
1: one where you play a ghost in a haunted house?
0: I can't remember. I, we haven't actually sat down and played it, but I was just like, oh, wow, okay. Maybe yeah.
1: the family would be interested in I haven't played it, but I'd like to. I think that's the one. It's like I – I don't know what you would call it. It's not necessary. it's sort of a co-op, but one player plays the ghost and the other players play the living people, and the ghost has, like, very limited communications. Oh, in the way that they can talk to the living people. And I think the goal of the game is to like figure out who murdered the ghost or something.
2: Yeah. It It looks interesting.
0: Okay.
1: And then for another war game I played, uh, there's a series called the battles in the age of reason. There's maybe a dozen games in the series. um, And I picked up one and have been playing one called Prague, the empty triumph. So, um really good game, uh, good system. There's it's mostly like the Seven Years War, but there's a couple games in the series that are American Revolution as well. Um, but it's got some really cool mechanics. I like it quite a bit. Um, so I haven't played it a whole lot yet. I've just played a few times and and I got a copy of this one and I've got the counter sitting on my table here. But it's got some really cool rules as far as, you know, formations and how you move your formations around and uh, it's very much a battle of uh, a game about getting your forces into battle in the right formation with your lines intact. You, know, you spend a lot of movement points just like you tell these guys to face left and it may cost you like or I think if you face right, it costs you like one movement point. If you to face left, it costs you four movement points because historically, you know, the Prussians, that's the way they did things. And it's it's really interesting. I like it quite a bit.
0: So, okay, yeah, this is Seven Years' War, and yep. uh, yeah, it looks really cool, and it's made by Clash of Arms Games, okay.
1: Yeah, and the counters are beautiful, so it's really cool. All the counters um, are, they look like the uniforms of those units. So, like, if the top half of the counter is red and the bottom half is blue, then those guys were rare in red shirts and blue pants. Hmm.
0: Well, the, the freaking map looks enormous, too.
1: Yeah, it is huge, um, and I haven't played any big scenarios on it yet, but it is big, and the map's really gorgeous as well. So, All
0: right,
1: cool. And then for RPGs, I've been playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, continuing that, we played again last night. Um, my uh, my guy is getting really pissed off at the way the world is turning against him. So he's. I, I was joking last night that this was going to be the uh, his his villain origin story because he's just. He's getting very angry at everyone. <laughs> but yeah, we're having a good time with that one, too. That's the one I said where we switched over from Roll20 to Foundry Virtual Tabletop, and I really like Foundry. I'm liking it so much that I think the next time I run a game online, I'm going to consider purchasing Foundry for myself.
2: And that's you host it on your computer, and then people Correct. pour into your computer. Yep, yep. Okay.
1: And we had a little bit of setup problems like the first time we used it. Like the first night, we were kind of switching back and forth because we started the campaign in Roll20. And then the first night that we wanted to use Foundry, we actually ended up switching back and forth between the two because we were having some issues. But ever since that, we've worked it out and we haven't had any problems. Uh,
0: My friend Chris has been talking about it a lot and wanting, you know, kind of, move over there for stuff. I think the only thing I can think of uh, that's a negative about it, it doesn't have anything official or like you can't use, you know, official artwork or whatever on it. Something like that? I don't know. Seems like I've heard something.
1: I don't know about that, but one of the reasons we switched was because the artwork was so much better in Foundry. At least for this game that we were playing, like when you go to Roll20, like if you try to zoom in on the map, the resolution was too low and it you know you couldn't really there was no point in zooming in but on foundry you can zoom in and it's much higher resolution now i have no idea if that's because roll 20 is using an official version and foundry is using a pirated version i have no idea but that's the reason we switched one of the reasons hmm.
0: okay and okay that that is the end of richard's playing, been playing things
1: yeah, that's so. it.
0: Uh the postcard thing is kind of over. Uh I've mailed off I think the last big chunk of them today, including uh several out of the country, which is interesting because I didn't know there is a international postcard stamp. It's like a dollar fifty or something like that, and it's huge and uh which I had to get really creative with putting it on this thing because you know it's a postcard game. And I sent a couple of those off. So, yeah, if you guys get them, I'm just curious, you know, let me know. Oh. And uh, see, I think I even mailed off uh, Dick Trapeer one today. <laughs> some some guy in St. Louis. I noticed it when I was filling it out. I was like, what the hell? Okay. All right. Mailed that <laughs> off. All right. Uh, we have a sponsor who will mail things to you if you electronically transfer <laughs> you him money. money. Yes. <laughs> he will mail things to you. He also prints things to you. It is Mike at com. and we have this great discount code which is COG2019 and uh, just check it out in the show notes because, you know, it's kind of a weird way of, you know, spelling Alter dementia and, um, yeah. Just head on over there. You can see it in the show notes. And well, he's... there's
2: some cool little mechs that he has.
0: Yeah, I like those. I really like the, he's doing the, uh, the Ill-Gotten Games, uh, sci-fi terrain and uh i've been kind of interested in that because i've and also like uh some of his other weird miniatures that he has because of um, not mutant crawl classics uh metamorphosis alpha metamorphosis alpha i think is really cool and to being able to do miniatures and stuff for a minute, so just interesting yeah and uh yeah so that's cog 2019 which saves you 20 percent on your order now we actually have an interview. We have not had an interview in forever, so, um, and we actually have one, and it was this long conversation I had with this nice gentleman named Matt Alexander from Australia. And we talked about how he stole my idea to bring Renegade Legion back. So, and uh, that's what we have. Um, you guys, this is—it's been really interesting to me. Uh, because it's it's coming to Kickstarter, I think in March, and he's got a Patreon where uh, you can subscribe to a certain level and actually be a character in it in, in canon, the Renegade Legion, and because uh, he's it's you'll hear all this in the interview is it he's doing kind of a soft reboot of of the series, and uh, yeah, so but the idea and. Being a canon character in a game, uh, really appealed to me. So I hopped on that um that Patreon level because it was a reasonable amount. So if I just stay in for a few more months, maybe there'll be a, a Captain Chance in the Renegade Legion. I think it'd be really neat. But they uh, got a
1: Facebook page too that they publish a lot of information on.
0: Yeah. And, uh, as well as Twitter, which I think is where I originally ran into him, or maybe it was a Tabletop Gaming News article. Uh, but yeah, I talked to him on that, uh, and that's how we ended up talking and uh, got him for the interview. You'll see him refer to me as Steve, which is how I've listed myself <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, it's just a thing. I change it to just...
1: Now, be- that's because of your friend, right?
2: Um, I've never asked you about that.
1: I assumed uh, it was, because it was right after your friend passed away.
0: Uh, No, no. It's, uh, I occasionally comment on uh, things posted on Twitter about my own state government. So <laughs> I'd rather not...
2: Oh, on uh, the DL. I yeah, gotcha. so I'd rather
0: not, you know... You know, have,
2: time to time, I take my last name off of my Twitter profile.
0: So, you know, it's just, I just toss it up there, or, you know, I just change it to something dumb or, or whatever, but he he's called me Steve, like, the whole thing, like, in our correspondence and in the actual interview, so I did I just let it go. I, I didn't want to explain <laughs> myself, because I thought it might just sound dumb, like, oh, uh, sorry, Mr. Australian, i I scared, I do this.
1: So When I was at college, there was a girl I met... One night when I was drunk at a party, and I don't know if it was me or she misheard or whatever, but for whatever reason, she thought my name was Patrick, and I never corrected her. <laughs> I don't her. know why that and makes me laugh. For but... like two more years, I would see this girl on campus. Like, I mean we ran into each other a lot, so I'd see her at least once a week, and she called me Patrick every time, and I never corrected her. <laughs>
0: Uh, look, I can't tell you how many people <laughs> call me Chance, <laughs> in- including Netflix. Um, in the correspondence, it sends to me like, hey, here we got a new show or, you know, <laughs> you owe this much money or whatever. They call me Chance, you know, because they'll send you an email like, Roy, we added a thing. And so for whatever reason, the algorithm picked up on my last name as my first name and i
2: i don't know. Well, from here on out you're going to be Mr. of Gaming to me. Yes. <laughs> That's
0: my middle name. It's Of. Yeah, Of
2: Gaming. Yeah,
1: Chance yes. comma Of Gaming is how you're re- recorded officially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so
0: anyway, it's a great interview. Check it out and then you you know, you want to hop over and see his Patreon. But all this will be linked in the share notes. Any of this uh stuff we kind of talked about uh which we talk about like the history of the IP and Fasa and stuff like that which he caused me to he talked about some books that came out that talked about the history of FASA, um and i actually ordered those i think i posted a picture of them on twitter yesterday that they came in um it was a kickstarter a couple of years ago that somebody did once again i'm gonna stand up and pull one of these off the shelf it is called aha designers and dragons have you guys heard about these Nope. They're published by Evil Hat Productions. Um, for them. It is a four-volume I, set covering. I, the,
1: yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them, but I don't know what they
0: are. It's a it's a four-volume set covering the history of the role-playing game industry. Like I. Am. Okay. And they're broken up into decades. Like.
1: Cur- and you're in there, right?
0: Yes, you know I am. <laughs> uh, currently, yeah, I'll be in the one that comes out the the fifth book. I'll be in there. And um, I'm currently holding in my hand uh, 90 to 99, and um, yeah, it, there's an article on the death of uh, fourth edition D&D, uh, just various uh, interviews and stuff like that. Here they're talking about Hackmaster, Blue Planet. Yeah, it, I just found it fascinating, and I can't wait to actually um, sit down and read it all, which I have some time coming up, and I'm on doing that in the future but yeah all the stuff we talk about in this interview will be linked in the show notes so just check it out and let me know what you think i'm gonna go make some soup (laughs) all right joining me now is matt alexander from budgie smuggler games um i'll have to ask what a budgie is and how you smuggle it and who stole my idea about renegade (laughs) legion matt
3: welcome to our little show Thank you so much for having us. Uh, we really, really appreciate it.
0: So what what is a budgie, by the way?
3: So a budgie a small, um, I think they're a grassland bird, a small parrot-looking bird. That a lot of them get domesticated and people have budgies in their house. And to be a budgie smuggler, it's, a, it's an Australian term for uh, a set of Speedo swimwear, oh. uh, as you can imagine. A bloke wearing this, this swimwear with these, uh, his package in there it looks like he's smuggling a budgie.
0: A banana hand.
3: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. were looking for Australian names for uh, the company. Uh, my my uh, partner Josh is in Florida, and we wanted to have Australian name, and we looked at things like Drop Bear Games or Combat Wombat and all the cool Australian uh, animal names for games companies are taken. And then uh, Josh's wife, Jenna, who's also our layout guru, uh, I said, "Oh, how about budgie smugglers?" And then I had to fill them in what that actually meant. They thought it was hysterical, and that was it. <laughs> huh.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's fantastic. I love your logo. He's actually wearing a speedo, so that's awesome. Yeah. So you're from Australia, obviously. And uh, how yep. long? How old are you?
3: I am oh, good question. 43 44? Forty three or forty okay. four. 44. <laughs> uh,
0: so how long have you been a gamer in the in the tabletop sense?
3: In the tabletop sense, probably since about nineteen uh, ninety, when I got into BattleTech and Warhammer forty thousand, and I'd been playing role playing games since about uh, nineteen eighty seven when I found this beautiful little uh, system that was actually paperback books, not the the big format books called Dragon Warriors. That's always been a fairly niche game, but it was a uh, it was a sort of medieval, middle um, dark ages. Uh, Dark fae fantasy setting that was um, Western European British Celtic type setting. It was very very evocative, and uh, oh, I, forgot, I had that one right through my life. I, I love that setting, um, and that led me to Fighting Fantasy, and then that led me to Dungeons and Dragons, and then into um, science fiction through you know, BattleTech and Warhammer, and then the GURPS and Rollmaster, and Spellmaster, and you know the, the the apprenticeship we all tend to go through as we as we get older.
0: Now, would you say you're more a uh, role-playing guy or more of a um, miniature gaming guy?
3: I actually think my love of gaming comes from really deep lore. So I've got some board games that I really love, uh, one especially at the moment, the new Dune game by uh, Galeforce 9, that you really feel like you're playing one of the the big families in Dune. It was phenomenal. It was really immersive. So... I love universes, whether it's a role-playing game or a war game or a board game, that have this really deep immersive universe uh, around them. So whatever has that, I'll jump into. So I've always I've played Battletech for about 30 or 25 years now, and it's got such a huge and almost lore around it. I, I love that, getting getting into the factions and painting up the, the mechs and that kind of thing. Um, I always loved the Middle-Earth role-playing because I loved uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, so I got really deeply into that. See, I think it, it more for me, it's if there's a really engaging, deeper story that you can uh, touch on, even if your, your player characters don't get involved in it, or your, your tabletop gaming doesn't get involved in it. It's still there around your game, and it, that's what I really love. So I wouldn't say I'm a role player or a war gamer. I'm more someone who gets into different games because they have that deep, deep immersive feel to them.
0: Yeah, I, I would say Battletech has lore that is about as deep as the actual history of some countries. It, yeah. <laughs> it's really that. You can really, really go long into it, and it's been around for such a long time, and it's more or less coherent, and the rules have more or less stayed the same. But, you know, yeah, it's. I've, I've been playing about the same time, about the same amount of time as uh, you have. I'll be 45 in a couple of months, and so, yeah, that's. I started with Battletech, and, um, yeah, and just kind of went from there. So. Yeah,
3: it was. It- it got me in early. I was in a role-playing group that moved to Battletech, and I think that's how I got into it. I started reading the old House Source books, and that really, really brought me into it. I was lucky enough to do some work for Catalyst and actually help with the First and Inception Succession War books uh, and backstop the authors on that with a lot of the research and the, the tracking of all the regiments and the mapping and that. And that was that was like a dream come true for someone like me, just you know, deep diving into that to help pull it all together. It was phenomenal. Oh, that's
0: awesome. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you mentioned Dune, and yeah, that's another one where you can get deep into the lore of the different houses and stuff like that. You know, the, the later novels are eh, a bit questionable. They're not as good, but at least you get that lore, you know, from the how the jihad happened and, you know, all that stuff. But, and, because I, I, I've been trying to sell the series to my co-hosts and, like, to my, my kids, too, because the new movie's coming out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like... I'm like, absolutely, the first book is very, very approachable. And with the original ones, kind of the further you go, it gets a little weird, a lot weirder. Each, you know, particular (laughs) uh, novel and goes further in the future. And yeah, so anyway, so when uh, the whole reason why I've got you on the show is, like I said, you you stole my idea about bringing back (laughs) Renegade Legion. So when did you first encounter Renegade Legion?
3: Uh, it would have been back when I was really getting into Battletech. And um, I remember getting... I did Battletech a bit back to front. i got City Tech Box and then the Battletech Box. And I can't remember which one it was in, but it had the old FASA catalog in there that had all their other games, Earth Dawn and Shadowrun. And, um, and it also had this really cool art for... Um, for Leviathan but that was the one that really grabbed me because I was a sort of um, I was a very geeky kid as you can imagine and the the character commanding the Leviathan on the cover looked quite geeky and gawky I'm not sure if you remember that cover he looks quite a bit out of place on the bridge there and it really really grabbed me and then there the art for Centurion and Legionnaire and I was like oh wow this is a really cool game uh and got into it a bit back then and then um yeah there you go. A poor high school, you know, you have to choose one hobby or, or the other, so I ended up moving more into Battletech. Also, really, I, I always vividly remembered that art from uh, Renegade Legion and, and some of the stories around it. And um, you know, it was probably only, you know, 60-40 that I, I went Battletech instead of um, Renegade Legion back in the day, but I always had very, very fond memories of that, and, and especially that art that really, really stood out to me.
0: Well, it, it's that awesome FASA art from from that era you know it's the same artists they used for BattleTech, and you know in a lot of uh instances and uh yeah it's all really great you're right it does uh is very striking the one i always remember because i actually still own a copy of it um was uh they had kind of an operational combat game called uh it wasn't um
3: prefect was the prefect yes that was it yeah
0: and uh, that guy on the cover of it, who apparently is supposed to be somebody, like a, a guy that broke the rules or something. I don't know, I've heard that. I don't know. Yeah. If, yeah, there's, <laughs> but yeah, that's the one I always remember.
3: Um, I, yeah, he looks like a centurion that's from NATO or something, doesn't he? He's got that kind of cross, cross-general look to him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I first heard about Renegade Legion in the 90s because a friend of mine had the computer games. On a 286, he had Interceptor, and I think there was one more, and I can't remember it, but uh, yeah. And I that was the first time I ever heard of it, and I just remember like watching him play and like flipping through the um, the game manuals. You know, back kids used to go yep. to a store and buy these enormous boxes that had your games in it, and they came on multiple floppies, and there would be like a huge manual in it. You know, you get the background, the lore, you know, all this stuff would be in there, and uh, yeah, so that's the first time I had ever heard of it.
3: So, Gone to the manuals, I know, and we did standards for for you know three three months beforehand, saving up your pennies to be able to buy it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's very true, and of course, you know, you didn't you didn't get any reviews really or whatever. You just bought it, and you're like, I, yeah, ho- I hope this is good.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. unless if you get your hands on a gaming magazine that actually talked about it.
0: Now, I've al- I, I've also seen like Renegade Legion in the over the course of my gaming career in like the half price bins or gaming flea markets and and stuff like that. it, it was because of a lot of it got produced. it really really did. There was a lot of it out there and like I have no idea like why they you know FOSA suddenly decided to just dump it. I think it happened. Something along the way when they were sold, like it got sold to somebody else who didn't do anything with it or or something. I'm afraid I don't yeah,
3: know. Would you Yeah, have- I understand because when they it was originally developed, the system um was when they were looking uh FAS was looking to and I could be correct on this by anyone, uh but our research has led us to think that the original Renegade Legion system was actually built for the Star Wars universe, but West End Games won the rights to do that. So they repurposed all their work to be Renegade Legion. Uh, and then the only problem for Renegade Legion was that as a tabletop war game miniatures game, it was directly competing with Battletech, There are other big tabletop um, offerings. So you know, being a company, you don't want to be competing with yourself in the same space. Uh, and then you know, Renegade Legion, I think, uh, after a couple of years was then uh, ended. They passed it to, oh, I forget the name of the company, they passed it to to see if they'd do some additional work on it. They re- released a couple of supplements. That didn't really go anywhere from there, and then when FASA closed its doors around 2000, that was kind of that was the end of it for, for FASA with Renegade Legion.
0: So, do you know what happened to the license after that?
3: Well, it depends, and this is one of the interesting things about IP law. There's a, uh, there's a few, there's three different parts to to an IP, depending if you use them all. So there's patent law for you. Know, technical gadgets and things like that, and most of us really don't come in, in contact with that unless we're, you know, boffins or engineers. Uh, then there's copyright, and then there's the trademarks. So the copyrights on the, you know, the books or a song or art, things like that, that's one part of an IP. And then there's the, the trademarks themselves, so the names like Centurion or the Renegade Legion, and they're distinctive parts of an IP. So the, and the thing with a trademark is that it lapses a lot quicker than does copyright. So copyright goes for 70 years past the uh, the death of the author or the artist, whereas a trademark lapses after 10 years. It's essentially use it or lose it. Um, so with the, the copyrights at the end of um, uh, Fastest Time with Renegade Legion, they seem to get a bit scattered, and that's been one of the... Um, the problems for the uh, the universe for a long time is that the the copyright IP was never all held in one place from from what we could see from our research, and then, then again the trademarks are something separate to that. So anyone wanting to reboot Renegade Legion has to ask themselves essentially what's a business question. You know, do we run the risk of trying to get all the old copyright back together, pay licensing fees, and you might not get it all, and then you open yourself to the risk of not being able to produce stuff, or do you just look at the trademarks themselves and try and reimagine what's there? So that's the, the path we went down.
0: Yeah, uh, there's been several historic examples of that. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, the old Avalon Hill card game called Upfront. They famously... No, I haven't heard that one. They famously brought it back a couple of years ago in a Kickstarter, and it was like a multi-million dollar Kickstarter or whatever. It may may have been just under $2 or or something. I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass. And uh, right after it completed and the guy collected all the money, he got sued by someone who said, No, I own the copyright for that, and it has never shipped because of that. It's been held up in court ever since so you know
3: it's yeah. and that's the business risk you know, that, that that's posed with that sort of thing and, and um you know for, for the people who might want to back us on kickstarter which would be thrilled about uh we did a lot of research into this and you know we've got to talk to you know um, uh, ip attorneys as well who had the experience in this sort of thing so we because first and foremost you know we, we love our games we've also you know, run successful businesses and so we we understand all you know, these legal obligations you have to go through and all the paperwork you have to go through to make sure you're doing things properly and up front. And this was what we we, we studied before uh, going down this path. Um, And the other thing, too, with with a a universe as old as Renegade Legion, it it hasn't really seen the light of day uh, as a published game line in 30 years, is that 30 years is a long time for social and cultural development and also for... You know, the, the generations of gamers we have coming through, there's new generations, there's new ways of playing games, there's new technologies. So for a universe that sat uh, essentially still for 30 years, that's a problem in and of itself as well. There's still a, a very small but very dedicated fan base to the old universe. But if you're you know, going to start up a business and run a successful Kickstarter, you need to look at what your gaming market is uh, as it is today and look at you know what's going to appeal to them as, as well as hopefully bringing something back for the old fans that have been loyally loving this universe for so long. So that's a, you know, another thing with that old... 30 year old material is that you know do you really want to use it in today's context too and so there's all these uh, this planning and thinking that we had to go through before we made any decisions now
0: who did you find that actually owned the copyright
3: oh it's spread all over the place <laughs> um josh is the one to talk to on that sort of detail um but you yeah, know there's there, there's Different bits of it own are different areas, and, th- and that's the problem when you look at look at an IP like that. You you've either got to get everyone on board, or you get no one on board because you leave yourself open if you don't. So we looked at it as that's essentially and an it's pretty much in the too hard basket for anyone really to do. So in doing that, we went okay. Well, people still want to see something with Renegade Legion. So we can we can still you know, honour the past, bring something back and reimagine it in a you know, similar way with what they did with the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. They made huge changes to that universe, while still paying uh, homage to the um, the earlier um, series. But it was a it was a totally different story. It was a uh, uh, very much rooted in the um, social and political context of the early 2000s, uh, and some of the commentary it made on you know, what was going on in the real world, and a very different beast to the original. So we thought, you know, we can either go down this extremely difficult path and maybe not even be successful, or we can sit down and recreate and reimagine this, um, you know, this this universe for the current day. Um, Create new characters, create new settings, um, uh, bring up bring new grav tanks to the fore. with the, the, with the new design software and things we have today. We have these wonderful 3D graphic artists working with us that can do these extraordinary things, you know, that we couldn't do 20, 30 years ago. So that was the path we've, we've chosen to take. It's Renegade Legion, and it's Renegade Legion in a, in a, in a new form. And we understand that might, appeal, not, might not appeal to some of the older gamers, and we understand that because, you know, you love what you love, you play what you play, and that's great. Uh, but hopefully we'll create something that will you know, appeal to them as well, give them something new. But it might also introduce some new players to the older universe uh, coming through us as well and you know, help reinvigorate some of that uh, that fan base and bring some new people to, to make new friends there as well.
0: Now, that does bring me to a good question. Um, Renegade Legion existed, in, like I said, there was the operational game, there was a fighter game, there was a tank game that I believe was hex-based. I don't know if it had 3D rules or not. And I think there was, like, an RPG as well. So, what exactly would your Kickstarter be for? What kind of game?
3: Okay, so a Kickstarter's going to be uh, two of the five games to start with. So, the original universe, like you said, it had uh, Centurion, which was the tank game, Interceptor, the fighter game, Leviathan, the warship game. The RPG was called Legionnaire, and there was a... Um, the Solar System Conquest game, which was um, Prefect. So we want to re-release a similar suite of games, and I'd love to do a 4X uh, Galaxy Conquest game at the end of all this as well, but that's that's in my, my dream box for later on. So the Kickstarter itself is going to be Centurion, uh, the Grav Tank, uh, Tactical Combat with Grav Tanks and Infantry. And we're also going to release the role-playing game, which in this incarnation we're calling Xenovita. Um, the the old Renegade Legion universe had a very, very heavy Roman influence on it, uh, which you, you might remember. Yeah. what well, thing we're doing with um Renegade Legion now is that we want to we want to make it a broader appeal. You know, not not everyone loves space Romans, some people do, some people don't. So what we've done with, for example, the tog is make the tog this celebration of uh, human culture. And it's it's all humans. It's 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 good to be human, essentially, in the TOG. It's this perfect place to be a human, and, and any sort of human is great. If you're practicing any form of human culture, then you are celebrating what it is to be human, and the, and the TOG celebrates that. However, if you're not human, uh, then the TOG has a problem with you. You can be an alien in the TOG and celebrate human culture and take on human cultural, culture, sorry, language and food and all, all those sorts of things and become a citizen. You might be biologically an alien, but you're culturally a human, and the TOG will accept that. Well, on the flip side of that, if you're outside the Tog as a human, you're considered an alien because you haven't accepted the, the, the celebration of humanity that the Tog is. And so we wanted to look at some of those really interesting um, grey areas around what it means to be self and, and what it means to be other, whether that's for a human or for an alien species, and look at some of the complexities around those questions. So in that, we then looked at we'll have to rename a couple of the games. Uh, so therefore, the role-playing game becomes Zenovita, so essentially out of life. Um we sort of mangled some of the old Latin there. Uh, we had another name for it that didn't work out, um, because we did some research on it, and other things were coming up for it that weren't uh, what you'd call PG-15. <laughs> so we moved to, to <laughs> centimeter. I had this really wonderful name for it, and it sounded really good. And then I woke up to our Discord chat one morning, and, and someone had gone and searched it and said, no, this is coming up with some um, terrible adult movies. <laughs> like, okay, What, we'll have to what was the today. name?
0: What was the name, Adam?
3: Uh, the original name I looked at, was it was similar to Xenovita, so it was uh, Exocentia, which was a play on Outer Intelligence, um, and it was close to a, a name you don't want to go near. <laughs> okay. So we, we, we canned that and went with Xenovita went with instead. So the Kickstarter will have the, the tabletop miniatures game for infantry and tanks. And then the, uh, the role-playing game itself, which will have all the, the really deep immersive material for the universe, will be part of that as well. So we'll do the two together. Originally, we had the, the grand idea, let's try and launch all the games at once. But, yeah, that's just impractical. It's just too much work to, to do to try and launch that many games at once. And, you know, you, you, you still want to test the bucket and see if the interest is there in the first place. So we'll do the, the first tabletop game of the RPG. Uh, and we've also got a whole bunch of stretch goals that we're planning in as well for additional source books, uh, additional elements to the game, uh, improvements to the basic game, the, the normal sort of stuff you do with a Kickstarter. But giving people from both sides of the, the gaming world the opportunity to come in and experience the Renegade Legion universe and, and maybe find that they like RPGs as well or tabletop wargaming as well and you know, help people make that crossover.
0: Now, will this be a, I know your partner is in uh, Florida, so will this be a US Kickstarter or an Australian Kickstarter?
3: It'll be a US Kickstarter. Okay.
0: And, uh, what's your goal as Uh, the dollar amount that you gotta meet in order for it to, uh, for it to happen?
3: So, we're firming that up at the moment. We, as you know, being as thorough as we are, we've gone out to about 16 manufacturers for coats. We want to make sure that we get the, the absolute best quality at, at a, a really good price. Uh, at the moment, um, I can't give you a hard figure on it. Um, probably thinking somewhere around the the $50,000 mark at the moment, but that's not confirmed yet. Okay. I've got to wait until sort of early January to really firm that up, and then we'll start getting our uh, Kickstarter holding page up and that kind of thing. Uh, but we've, we've, we're getting you know, cross-back on you know, everything at the moment, which is great, and it's it's falling in the area that we expected it to, which will you know, provide people with a, a really solid uh, role-playing game book, uh, additional supplements, uh, a great core box set with um, some really, really beautifully done miniatures, uh, the dice, um, the, the the tokens, and all the other bits and pieces you you get in a box these days. Um, and it's looking we're, we're thinking that that funding will fall around that 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 fifty thousand dollars mark, uh, which we we think is really achievable uh, as as we, we as we build towards it. But again, that that that's going to have to be confirmed in the next month or so. Okay.
0: Uh, and what when were you thinking about launching it?
3: Uh, June. June 2021. Okay. We, we thought about April, and then we looked at some of the things we wanted to do for, uh, for the game and to make the game as uh, easy to play as possible while still being really immersive. And we just wanted an extra six weeks to make sure we could do that. And so we've, we've pushed it back into June just to give ourselves that time. We could have done it in April, um, but it's always good to have that, that buffer when, you, when you're doing something like this in, instead of, um, you know, trying to try to do things as quickly as possible and not giving yourself the contingency time because there's always something that could happen. And I've, I've learned that through bitter experience over many, many years of, of um, project management. So we thought, you know, we'll, we'll push it back to June, which is a good time to do it anyway. And... Uh, from that
0: uh, yeah absolutely uh, we've interviewed several people that talk about doing Kickstarters and uh, they talk about like well I remember Jamie Stegmeyer from Stomeyer games talked about his last uh, like his first Kickstarter if he, if he had made his last stretch goal it would he would have been able to complete the Kickstarter but that would have been it for him in the industry it would have yeah. bankrupted his company and that would have been it and so you would have never gotten like wingspan and you know, and all this other stuff that happened. And he's like, Yeah, you got to be really careful, really conservative. So Yeah.
3: And that's yeah. And and that's the I think the good thing with uh Josh and my background in, in business and and, and large scale project management I've managed multimillion multi million dollar budgets and hundreds of projects at once is that you learn through bitter experience as you get into project management. Uh, you know, no project timeline survives contact with the reality. And it's always good to have those contingencies in place so that when something does happen and something always unforeseen happens, like COVID happened this year, um, who knows what can happen in 2021, it's always you know, you, you, it's always good to have that buffer in there so that you can you know, deliver on, on what you're saying you are going to deliver.
0: Now, with the miniature game that's launching... Uh... Will
3: it launch with miniatures or counters? No, it'll launch with miniatures. Um, The counters will will be part of the the box as well. So there's a few counters we've got in there for tracking different states of of different things within the game. Uh, And uh, and a couple of uh, movement templates as well. One thing that we'll be doing prior to Kickstarter, uh, we've released an initial beta for Centurion, which um, I'll, I'll come back to that in a sec. Uh, we're actually going to take the second beta and also play test it through tabletop simulator for people who who want to have a really uh, good red hot crack at the rules and, and have a bit of a play. And I'll probably hopefully have that up by the end of January for for our playtesting group and other people who who want to play test the uh, the rules themselves. And uh, late, well, it's still this year, isn't it, am When you leave, so late this year, um, we put out our first beta, and I'm a very um, uh, data-oriented person. I love playing around in spreadsheets. That's my happy place. I can derive a lot of calmness from that. It's very weird. We've also got some phenomenal um, visual artists and uh, visually visual designers in our team. And our original idea when we released you know, the first beta was that we were having three tiers of rules for each each game. So you could come in with a really simple rule set on Christmas Day and put all the miniatures out and play it in an hour and be done. Then if you're a more experienced gamer, you can get into the next two higher levels and add ever more detail to your game, and then really get into the crunch at the higher level. And our phenomenal designers, Dale and Jordan, they took those three tiers and managed to compress them into one, keeping this, this ability to play the game really quickly and learn it quickly, but through some really, really clever visual tools and compressing a, a couple of rules together, and using um, things like templates and cards to to, use, to rec- recreate what I had built, managed to compress it all into one levels of rules, which was just absolutely phenomenal. So our next beta, which will release shortly, uh, is that compressed set, which has everything in it, but still plays really quickly. And we were just blown away by what the guys did. It was incredible, and we were so th- just thrilled that they they done this. So people that have had a look at the original beta uh, have only just seen that, uh, that that first third of the rules, and when the next one comes out, they'll get it all, but playing as a simple system, which we're, we're really looking forward to sharing with people.
0: And so uh, it'll come with uh, two opposing forces then, or do it we
3: get will... to choose... No, well, we've, at the moment we're looking at it as two opposing forces, uh, with, uh, so you'll have the tog on one side, and on the other side you'll have the, the Renegade Legions and the Union fighting together. So you'll essentially get three factions in the one box. Uh, from there we're looking at, uh, doing expansion packs off the, the, the main box, so if you want to bulk out either side you can, using the same miniatures, and then also having some expansion boxes done, one for each of the factions as well. And, um. Uh, probably some infantry as well on that, so that within the Kickstarter, if you're you know, a big TOG fan, then you know, you'll be able to bulk out your, your, your TOG side of your army very easily. Uh, we thought about um, you know, factual boxes, um, but for an inter- what, what we really want to do is be able to put uh, a product out there that has a really, really good entry price for people, especially people who might be new to wargaming, that it's open, open the box and be able to play straight away and then once you've had a, a taste of it, then you'll know what faction you want to you want to grow. Or you'll be someone like me with Star Wars Armada who then just tries to buy every ship and four of them and just be a mad collector. Um, yeah, that's
0: me, yeah. 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 yeah.
3: So we wanted to give... And one of the things that we've, we were really conscious of is there's, there's a lot of different ways to game and there's a lot of different ways to experience gaming. You might be a collector or a hobbyist, a tabletop mm-hmm. war gamer, you might just like the fluff or you might be an RPG player or you might just like the fiction. And we want to be able to cater to these different audiences, but also introduce them to different ways of experiencing the universe. So our whole series of games, be it the RPG or the tabletop offerings, are built in what we call the, uh, the Renegade, Renegade Integrated Gaming System, RIGS, which allows compatibility between all the games. So you can you know, switch your dice around or your cards or your, your, your various mechanics. So if you can play one, you'll understand the base mechanics of another. But they all play very, very differently because we tweak those mechanics. So going from Centurion to Interceptor, you'll understand how movement works, how firing works. But because we play with a couple of the mechanics and how rage works and how altitude works and the different weapons that are used, you suddenly have these very, very different games that play uh, extraordinarily differently to each other. Uh, so that'll help people who might have a, a love of one game, and uh, they might love Starship Combat and have never really played tabletop tank games, but because it's easy to translate from one to another, they might be more willing to you know jump across and have a crack at that and find a whole new way to play.
0: Now uh, so the miniature game will be 3D and it won't be hex. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm just just curious because uh, not yeah, it's pretty much just battletech, I think is yeah the only people really doing hexes still nowadays. and
3: so yeah, just curious. Yeah, we had a big talk about that. I was I was originally <clears throat> looking at um, hexes, but I, I got talked down off that. <laughs> and that's a good thing about the team we've got. There's a lot of really strong personalities in there, but it's a it's a great team for throwing out ideas and seeing if they work and testing things. And so we we looked at how we how we wanted the game to feel because it's it's great having a game that makes you feel like you're in the universe. So you read the fiction, then you play the game, and you're like, oh wow, this feels like the books. So in the, the, the design of the rules, uh, that's that's how we got to you know, moving away from hexes, having the altitude system work the way it does, having the tanks move the way they do so they feel slippery and skiddy as, you know, with a frictionless movement system you would. And so that's that's what we're aiming for. Okay. Okay. Uh
0: with the role-playing game, will it just be, like, just the rule book or is it possible to get like, uh, like, say, TOG or, or Renegade Legion supplements, like, as a stretch goal?
3: Yeah, so that's what we want to do. So within the, um, within Xenovator there'll be standard RPG rules, how to create character, equipment, there will be, uh, an, in- <coughs> me, an in-universe guide within there. Uh, we're also looking at, um, a really um, useful way to help uh, game masters especially more inexperienced game masters come up with really interesting campaigns and adventures for their players. So we're hoping we'll have that within the rule book but hope to actually make that a standalone expansion as well as a, as a card set that we're working on at the moment And then from there we uh, would like to produce a supplement for the, the three main factions in the initial box set so the union the tog and the Renegades. Um, and we're also looking at um, a broader uh, source book as well to give some more background on the universe. Uh, we're looking very seriously at part of the Kickstarter also supporting our first fiction offering, which could be uh, could be serialized, uh, which we would actually we're more leaning that way at the moment because we want to bring as many voices to the universe as possible. Uh, a serialized offering for fiction as part of the Kickstarter um, would, would be really useful in doing that. And then the other part of the Kickstarter that uh, we'd like to do is, uh, as another supplement, is we want to use the Kickstarter as the the first campaign of the Renegades. So in the in the old Renegade Legion, it was set about 100 years after the Renegades had left the Tog. We what we're doing, we're setting it shortly after the Renegades have left. So you actually get to experience the the Renegades leaving the Tog and trying to build a new home, which the the stories you can tell about you know someone leaving their nation, the nation that supported them and then has betrayed them, then they have to find a new home and what is essentially hostile territory, find new allies, find a new way of life and a new identity. They're really powerful stories to tell. So we wanted to, to tell those as, as part of the first elements of the new Renegade Legion. And one of the things we'd like to do is use the Kickstarter as the, as the actual first campaign. Uh, so we're working on some ideas of how, you know, when you... You back the Kickstarter, you also nominate your faction. And depending on how many people back different factions in every period of the Kickstarter, the map will change, the campaign will change. And so our first uh, historical source book will actually be telling the story of that first campaign of the Renegades as I left the the tog based on um, how vocal the different groups are within the Kickstarter. So getting people really engaged as a Kickstarter, you know, are, are you wearing your Tongue T-shirt or your Union or your Renegade T-shirt and how passionate are you about these guys? And if you are, you can help them drive them to a successful campaign uh, and really help people you know, get that visceral love of their faction. Like, you know, we, we get out of a, a universe like Battletech, where you know, I've supported the Lion Commonwealth since I was... However old I was, 14. <laughs> you hang off at and, and at the moment in the the, the Battletech universe, the laurels have been curb stomped, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I don't want to read this. And but that, that's what you want your 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 fans and your players to experience. That that love of your faction, the, the idiosyncrasies, the strengths, the weaknesses, the, the silly things they do, the great things they do. And having that as part of the Kickstarter, I think, will be really great because people will be able to not only be part of the Kickstarter and part of that that campaign within the Kickstarter, but help build that personality around their faction. And one of the things we really want to do is, is support fan creativity, um, help fans connect with each other and share what they create within a new Renegade Legion universe, you know, be it characters or, you know, fan-made tanks or um, their own stories, because each of those makes our gaming experience richer and being able to help our fans connect with that and 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 feel that they're part of their faction and 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 their gaming experience we really want to help people do that because that's why we love gaming and we want to share that with with everyone
0: so you'll uh as part of the kickstarter will you have like little extra things like that like maybe a t-shirt or a button or a keychain or whatever to support your particular faction
3: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we're, we're we're looking at that uh that's um that's uh, Josh's Ballywick. He's um, uh, in the business he's run before. He's, he's he's all switched on with that that sort of side of things. So I'm looking at the main manufacturing side of the game and the, uh, the rule books where Josh is going to look after our essentially what's the swag. Uh, and, yes, we, we're very much focused on, on, on doing something like that for the fans, whether it's uh, T-shirts or something else. We haven't quite nailed that down yet. But those sort of elements of the Kickstarter, they're not particularly expensive to do in comparison to them manufacturing a, a quality miniature game, so that's something we'd really like to do. Uh, we've, I'm not sure if you are involved with the, um, some of the Kickstarters recently, like the, you know, the Battletech one where you can get your faction shirt and yeah, your, logo, uh, your keychain, all that sort of stuff. And right. Yeah, it helps It helps immerse you again in the universe. it's you know, You're celebrating that fact that, yeah, these, this is my crew. This is what I love. So, yeah, we'd, we'd like to do that as part of the Kickstarter, and that's, again, part of the stuff we're looking at through January to nail down, so we'll, we'll have all that. As, as part of the, the final offering
0: now is there a single rules writer or is it more a collaborative effort
3: it started out with uh with me uh, i put the the initial rules set together and then had everyone attack it with hatchets which was great um john is uh was my sort of second in putting the rules together and um john took a hatchet to my absolutely awful english uh helped Help clear up. I was writing for gamers, which was a problem. Uh, We need to write for everyone. So John took that first step. Then Jordan and Dale came in and compressed the rules down. And then we've worked through since then to produce the beta two. They they came up with the concepts of how to compress it down. Then we actually had to compress it down, and it worked really really well. We then just had to iron out some of the wrinkles. But then what we did, we got a couple of people who had absolutely no idea of what gaming was had never really gamed before in their life to read through the rules as well. And say, so I have no idea what this means or who's that or what the hell is a tog and force us to really think through who we were communicating with because we want this game for gamers, but we also want to bring in new people to gaming. So we need to be able to articulate it to, to, to both sides. So that was, that was really important. So it evolved from... Me smashing out a rule set to being a a pretty broad group of people that have um, given input into the to the game, and it's so much better for it. Uh, These different perspectives, different ways of gaming, different experiences have made it a much richer and a much much better uh, product than I could create on my own. Okay,
0: now uh, what, or if anything, at the moment are you guys doing to kind of as a throwback to the original? Game, but like, are you engaging a particular artist or a writer for some fiction or or anything in particular?
3: No, we haven't touched on any of the old artists or writers. Um, There's nothing stopping us doing that in the future. But again, because we we just secured the trademarks and and didn't look at the old copyrighted material, we we essentially can't use that without being in breach of copyright. So we're we're creating everything anew, essentially, um, so that it's, it's all original work. There's nothing stopping us from engaging the, the old artists or the old writers yeah. if they're, they're interested, if anyone's interested. Um, we've got a, a core team together at the moment, but next year we will be opening up a section of our website where people can submit their work and say, look, I'd like to, to be involved in this. Uh, you know, I'm a writer or I'm an artist or I'm a layout person or a fact checker, whatever it might be, and give them a chance to uh, submit to us uh, so we've, we've got an idea of who's out there, who's interested, who's keen, what their skills are. Uh, but essentially, we, we've we got uh, a couple of phenomenal artists on board already who have done some just exquisite work. And their their job was initially to set the, the visual language of, of Renegade Legion for us. And then once that process is complete, which they're not far off um, finalising that now, is that we could start bringing other people in after that, because then they'll have a, essentially a, a visual guidebook to work from to allow them to then help us grow and expand the universe.
0: Okay. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Look, I know. Look, a lot of people are super excited, like me, that are super excited about the IP that really haven't experienced it. Uh, I never played it back in the day, and I actually recently picked up um, Prefect because it was—it's it, an exact copy of a BattleTech game, that, uh, the Succession Wars BattleTech game that was way yeah. too expensive. But I'm like, oh wow, yeah, Prefect is the exact same game, and it's super cheap. So yeah, I'll will get that. And uh, I'm wanting, I was gonna get it to the table, but then COVID happened. So.
3: <laughs> yeah, gonna... that, that's the thing. Like we we want those visceral visceral reactions you have to a game and the way it plays. That that's what we. That's what we want people to feel. And when when uh, Renegade Legion came out originally, it was quite innovative with of some of its systems. The, uh, the the armor diagrams and the penetration templates and the, the damage flow that, you know, in an interceptor, they were, they were really, really innovative concepts f- for the day. Uh, and, and that's why people love love the game. You see a lot of comments around that on, on the internet. So what we want to do is create that feeling for a new generation because the, most of the gamers today... They they want a faster playing game and a simpler playing game. That's just the nature of the market at the moment. That's okay. If you're still liking that really detailed heavy 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 game, we have built in elements to our game that allow you to experience that, but without you know, 44 record sheets to do it. You can actually experience that quite quickly on the tabletop. And, and this is the, the, the clever aspect of, of what Jordan and Dale did is that we can have this we have this really wonderful easy to play system. But once you start using Turning on all its little features, you suddenly get this wonderfully complex, very immersive experience that doesn't take eight hours to play a game. You can still play right through a game in a couple of hours with all the detail.
0: Yeah, and I know that's really desirable uh, nowadays for a for a game, you know, especially as COVID's really taught us the, how um, important our time is. And yeah, so. Um, yeah. What do you think the cheapest buy-in would be for the Kickstarter? For all, like, for the Kickstarter? You, would it be possible to just say purchase the RPG book?
3: Yeah, I, we we're still looking at all the different options for how we set up the Kickstarter. Like me being a data nerd, I've got about 40 spreadsheets for all different aspects of the, the game and the company, and I've got one that looks at all like myriad myriad of options for how we can set up our stretch goals and our um, uh, sorry, our, our funding levels, our tiers, and all these sorts of things. And yeah, I'd like to be able to say to the RPGs, look, if you just want the RPG, you can get the RPG. Or if you just want the tabletop, you can get the tabletop, or you can bundle the both together. Uh, and then you know, have the higher tiers. One thing we'd like to do, and, and what we've done through our Patriot already, is offer the chance to get canonized as well. You know, some people love that, being, being part of the universe forever. So we have already got four people that will be our first canonized uh, characters within uh, Renegade Legion, and that's probably something we'll offer as some of the higher tiers as well. That's Uh, cool.
0: How how can you do that? How does that work?
3: Well, essentially, uh, we we attach it as a tier, and uh, depending on what level you want, we we definitely put a cap on it. We wouldn't just have it open slather because canonizing people does take time. Uh, and, you know, take staff resources and art resources, writing resources, and then there's also the back and forth you're going to have with all the people that want to get canonised. So you need to you need to keep a cap on it so you, you, it doesn't become a, a burden on you. And again, you know, take up so much time that you can't actually deliver what you want to deliver. So we've thought that we could do that in two ways. One would be the really easy way is putting people on cards. So whether you're a, a, a commander in the, the, the game or you're one of the protagonists in the RPG tech uh, deck, that's a really easy way to do it. we don't need much text. We only need a you know the photo from you that the artist can can work from. But then you can have a, a more complex canonization tier where we actually make you a, a far more detailed character in the universe. so you might be one of the example characters in the role playing game where there's a, a full body shot of the the character um, their stats their a bit of their history a bit of their personality and they become you know for a lot of people who then be playing the game you become one of the the characters in their game because they're using you. As a as a established character in the universe, so that's that's what we'd probably offer at a much higher tier. Uh, but yeah, I think something like that for people who really really love the universe is is, is something that I think people appreciate and uh, and some of our patrons at the moment that want that, uh, you know, it's something that really excites them. You know, I can be a living part of this universe for you know, forever now, which uh, we, we want to offer that to people because it's a, a really lovely thing to have.
0: Now, I will say, we talk about on my show, whenever we whenever we look at a Kickstarter, we almost immediately scroll down to what, it, what is the crazy tier. Occasionally, you see this in gaming, <laughs> that there's yeah. like a, all right, if you give us, say, $5,000, you know, we'll fly you over and we'll cook you a steak dinner and you'll play the game <laughs> with us. You got to do something like that, something crazy like that.
3: We've we've had some discussion around it, um, and I'm I'm 50 50 on something like that personally because I see uh, I recently backed uh, quest and also uh, the Fantasy Miniatures Box that Blacklist Games did. Uh, they they ran a really they ran a very slick uh, Kickstarter, and they just have the one tier. And then they have a merchant tier, and they keep it that simple. So it's really easy for them to manage on the back end. So they deliver their kickstarters very, very quickly, very efficiently. And then, yeah, like you said, there's also the other one where you have this crazy tier that says, you know, I will come over, we will have, you know, our artist come over and paint a tank for you, sign it while we cook you a three course dinner, and then play afterwards. And that's, yeah, the big, the big tier. I'm not sure how much it would take to fly me to the states. I'm not sure that'll happen. But um, yeah, <laughs> um, just yeah, toss it on a...
0: there. Yeah, it would be, it'd be <laughs> great. Just like you know, like 10 grand or something like that. All what's what I've always thought is funny is there'll be these ones they're like five or six thousand dollars and they'll yeah. be like hey you know we'll cook you dinner we'll play the game whatever but then they're always like you have to get your own transportation and yeah. I'm like come on man if I'm yeah <laughs> could, yeah
3: and, that, and that's the thing when, when I'm really conscious in, in everything that we're we're offering that we that it, it's a practical offering that we don't want to promise. Sorry, pardon that, I've got an eight-year-old that just came flying through at a rate of knots. (laughs) Um, That's another thing of COVID. Everyone's stuck in very small places with lots of people. Um, One of the things I'm always conscious of is that if we're going to say, you know, we want to offer you something or we're going to do something or maybe if we have to change something, we want to make sure that the customer and the fan and the player is still getting, you know, what they they were hoping for. Um, So I'm very... What makes me hesitant about those, you know, those big, huge five thousand dollar goals is that what their expectation of a night with me or Josh or the the rest of the crew might be could be very different from what our expectation is, and I would hate to disappoint someone in that situation, and that's that's why I'm cautious of that sort of thing because I don't, you're laying out that much money, I want to make it amazing for you, I want you to just go, that was the the coolest thing I've experienced in years. And so I would want to do something like that unless I was a hundred percent sure I could make that happen for them. Uh, sure. So
0: well, that's why you have to set the dollar amount at an insane level. Yeah, like, you know that that's, that gives you enough padding. Like you know, hey, if you, you know, if you buy in at the two million dollar tier, we will recreate uh, Mad Max in <laughs> you know, over here. Yeah, we'll fly you in, and we'll recreate Mad Max in my backyard or or
3: whatever. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, that's that, that's the thing. So I'm very very conscious of that, and I would like I'd like to be to be able to do something like that, but I wouldn't do it unless I was absolutely certain that um, one we could do it and do it well, uh, but also you know had the resource and the and the time. Um, and it, it's something that's a lot harder at the moment until you know the vaccines really take hold and things start to settle down. Uh, it could be quite some time before, you know, being able to, you know, jet someone in or, or go and see someone uh, safely is really possible too. So, you know, it, it, we might have to think down other lines as that we we create a, um, it could be something that we create for our top ten, you know, um, backers a, a an online tournament just for them with us or whatever it might be. There, there's all sorts of ways you could do it, but we have to be very aware of, you know, the, the world we're living in at the moment too. So. I would like to, to do to do a, a crazy goal for people, but I'm also very conscious that if we do, it, it it's got to be something we can we can do and do well.
0: Now, this is a in normal times this would be a normal question for you, but now that this is COVID, it's an odd question. So that would be what um what, do you say? what conventions would you like to be able to go to to promote the game? Because, you know, in, in normal times, people would be able to see you at, say, Gen Con or, or Origins or something. They could maybe watch you demo the game. They could ask questions. But, of course, that was in the before times.
3: Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think we, it's easier for, uh, say, uh, myself in Australia to be able to do something like that here at the moment. We, Apart from uh, the, the, the most recent outbreak in Sydney over the last week or two, um the, the country's been dealing particularly well with COVID so far and it gives us more opportunities to do something like that where from um my background especially Josh as well is that we we would not want to put our players at risk of any kind of harm let's say everyone come to Gen Con while the, uh, the COVID's still raging out of control is not a a I don't see that as a good thing to do. Uh, I would love to go to Gen Con and Origins and Dragon Con and you know, um, potentially find people who might like to demo for us at, um, uh, in Europe as well. Uh, but at the moment, it's more it's more of a waiting game just to see what happens. Um, again, it's one of those those uncertainties that um, that are about at the moment. So one of the things that that we've thought very hard about is how we how we could potentially use tools like Tabletop Simulator to be able to get um, uh, people to, to be able to play the game with each other over distances and potentially do uh, online tournaments. I've, I remember when I started out with Armada, there were some fantastic online tournaments they were running through uh, Vassal, you know, people all over the world. Um, so you know, we can look at things like that as well. Some of the cons are looking at some of their online um, ways of you know, doing these sorts of things online as well. So... Yeah, it's one of those hard questions at the moment. There's so much stuff up in the air. Um, We we would love to go to Albacons, but until um, the Kickstarter's middle of the year, so we should have a better idea by then of exactly what is going to be open and available late next year and and then going into 2022. Uh, But we're lucky that we've got um, our our main staff spread right across the States uh, and myself here in a so i've actually got people that concern us a lot of the cons um depending on, on what's available and what comes up once once things settle down
1: that's
0: very true yeah uh I, which does remind me all right if the kickstarter is in june uh it'll be i assume your typical 30 days when would you kind of like to ship i know they I always did. ship late or whatever you know but yeah
3: well that was one of the things we talked about very early um and instead of saying we will ship in let's say march say our window for shipping might be you know, february to april and we're going to try and fall in that window because again with covid uh there's the the current and then you've got brexit breaking out uh, tomorrow which i'm sure that's going to be uh, another another burden that the people in the uk and the europe are going to have to deal with so essentially uh, a lot of games you're know, you're looking at you know, six to eight months to, to get um, get product onto uh, people's tabletops. Uh, within that eight-month period after June, you've also got the Chinese New Year, uh, and there's also the, the terrible uh, problem that everyone's got at the moment of getting uh, shipping container space out of China. So hopefully that backlog is cleared by that stage if, if things have settled down. So uh, we'd... we'd our aim will be to do it as quickly as possible, but we're not going to cut any corners, and we're also not going to give any unreasonable dates. Uh, I'm talking to our manufacturers at the moment to get a very good idea of what they think would be a achievable delivery date, and then I'm going to put a contingency on top of that, and then we'll come out and say, look, this is when we think we'll be able to deliver it. Uh, Again, a lot of the manufacturers are, are also warning that they have uh, issues around uh, supply and delivery and, and getting shipping space as well. So even their best guesses are sometimes not playing out as well. So it's very hard to put a, uh, a delivery date on at the moment. Um, again, I'll probably have a, a window by the end of January. And then from there, we can uh, sort of work forward and backwards depending on how... Um, shipping and worldwide transport starts to work out kinks if, if things start to settle down in the back half of next year again it's it's, uh, it's an interesting time to be doing something like this with the the uncertainty in, in supply lines uh, which you know they always add time uh we're confident we can produce the product it's just when we can get it onto people's tables is just not entirely clear at the moment because of some of those issues
0: yeah i mean it, yeah it's a hell of a time to be releasing anything <laughs> would, you know have to be shipped and you know all, all this yeah
3: absolutely yeah well and it's uh, very very interesting see how different companies are trying to deal with it too uh, since we've been in contact with so many it's uh it's it's been very educational but it's been very very interesting to see how different companies are juggling with the, with these problems and how, and how they communicate it too so i'd like to at some point for for others who might take this path in the future you know, give a bit of a lessons learned. We, we started out by looking at uh, Jamie Stegmaier's blog, which is just incredible. It's just this amazing resource for anyone looking at doing something like this. Start looking at that you know, probably almost a year ago now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but being yeah. able to share those lessons with, with others would, I think will be invaluable uh, mm-hmm. because we're, 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 we we want to make a, a really great high-end product for people that's at a great price point. So uh, anyone who wants to follow on doing something like that, we'd like to say, well, yeah, you know, this is what we learned along the way.
0: So how can people find more information about this? They heard this. They're like, oh, my God, I had no idea. They're bringing back Renegade Legion. Where do I go to keep up with all this info? All
3: right. So the first uh, sort of the most centralized place will be the website. It's very simple at the moment. Uh, So at the moment, we're out Social media is just starting to light up and more features will be added to the website in January through February as we lead up to the Kickstarter. We're going to turn everything on at once. So if people go to uh, RenegadeLegions.com, so plural, RenegadeLegions.com. They can find us there. There's a link there to our Patreon site for those who really want to get involved with the, uh, learning about the development process. So we share a lot of stuff really early with our patrons. You can get canonised there early, and we also share a lot of our development notes about how, how we thought through some of the problems that we came up against, how we worked out hyperspace, for example. I'm also a cartographer, so how I actually mapped the entire galaxy, which was a whole ball of fun. Um, then from uh, the web page it's also got links to our uh, instagram our facebook and our twitter or you can go straight to any of those three and just look up budgie smuggler games and you'll find us uh, we're on uh, twitter is at, um, at games budgie i think uh, instagram is budgie smuggler games and facebook smuggler games as well
0: now you've got a link here to a shapeways page what have you got on there
3: so we've just got uh, – just for people who want to have a look at some of the models that we've been producing. So what we did, we're, we're kind of um, uh, meta-universe crazy people, is that we actually mapped out the whole galaxy. We mapped out the, the overall sort of large-scale forces and how the economy worked and you know, the, the, the timeline. We have this amazingly detailed timeline that's uh, about 13,000 years long. So we, we knew where everything we were putting in, where everything fits and then what our artist did, instead of saying here's the uh here's the tanks and the art for the the, the box set itself let's have a think about what came first. What were the, what were the design aesthetics of each faction and what were the, the tanks and the uniforms 50 years ago and how do we evolve them to where they are now? And then how do we evolve that as the Renegades split from the TOG and how do we change the, the look of the Union as it evolves and as it allies with the Renegades? So those ones we've got up on Shapeways are what we call our Gen Zero. Uh, So they're they're, uh, an example of our Gen Zero stuff. So that's to give people a feel of, you know, what life was like 50 years ago. And then as we've developed the aesthetics and if people go to any of our social media at the moment, uh, there should be another one going up shortly. We're starting to release the images of what will be uh, some of the tanks in the box set and the art and the color schemes for that. And when you look back at these Gen One tanks and you you can see that evolution. Our patrons have seen all of this, like in, in all sorts of detail. Uh, and now that they've had that for three or four months, we, we start releasing it for the for the wider community. So those ones there are, are some of our, our early offerings, so people can see you know, where, where we started, where our ideas started. Uh, if they get the, the beta rule set, they'll have a couple of miniatures to play with if, if they want to go that way. Uh, but we've got a couple of cut-out counters within the, the beta rule set as well. So that that's what we've got there on Shapeways. And we'll probably add some stuff along the way. <clears throat> our artists are keen to, uh, down the track, uh, provide some you know, some free BSTLs for you know say the civilian transport truck or the the generic whatever it might be so that not only have we got our core um, product our our high-quality miniatures that we'll be producing ourselves, but things that we might not really ever get around to doing a big manufacturing run for or just might not be um, something that you can practically do and, and actually you know, make make back your investment, we could then offer as you know, something simple on like Shapeways or the occasional you know, free STL for people to have fun with. So we want to you know, support the, the different ways people game, and that, that's why we've got the Shapeways set up for now. Okay. <clears throat>
0: Well, uh, is there anything else we need to know about the future of Renegade Legion going in?
3: Well, I think what people will find for the, the way we'll operate is that we are designing a universe for everyone. If the, No matter how you play, no matter who you are, uh, what your background is, we've been very conscious of the design of our game and our cars and our miniatures for you know, people that might have trouble with numbers or colours or things like that. We really want to make a place where It's a big universe, but you can find your place in there and immerse yourself and be who you are or explore something beyond yourself that you're, you're really interested in. And in doing that, over the next couple of months, people will be able to engage with us on social media, ask us anything they want. We will be adding elements to the website that will let people start to talk to each other, share their ideas submit to us, and then as we lead up to the, the Kickstarter itself, we'll be starting to put those those calls out for, you know, what's your faction, who do you want to be, who do you want to support. Um, so people getting in early, coming in and joining us now, um, joining our newsletter, talking to us on, on uh, Patreon or on our social media are going to start to be able to get a feel of how the different factions are evolving and really get start to get that immersion. And that's what I think uh, we're really hoping for people to do, to get get tribal and really enjoy what we're doing because we're having such a great time and we want to share that with people. And one of the best things we've found so far is is the the conversations we're having with our our fans on social media or our patrons, sharing ideas, um, joking back and forth and just having a really good time. Uh, So leading up to the Kickstarter, (coughs) we'll be putting out all sorts of uh, information. We've got a great little social media team that's come together in the last few weeks. So if people uh, just just follow along, they'll get plenty of nudges for, for where to go and get the good stuff as, as we lead up to it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Now I want to be canonized and be in there.
3: <laughs> and it's, it's going to be a fun process too. Um, um We were – one of my, um, my my friends, she was one of our first supporters on Patreon because we, we, we grew up uh, being nerds together. We went and saw Rogue One together when it came out. We're standing up and cheering when, you know, Red Leader and Gold Leader are calling in. <laughs> And so she was like, yeah, I, I have to have this. You, I'm supporting you all the way. And um, she said, well, her, her, her nickname is the Ginger Ninja. So it was like, well, we're going to we're gonna have to canonize you as a special forces trooper straight off the bat. <laughs> and we're having that sort of fun with it. So we want people to have, like, if you want to get canonized, you might have some ideas. Of, I'd love to have something like this. And because it's such a broad universe, you know, we'll be able to find a place for everyone to yeah, express that, that excitement.
0: I, yeah, I, I know I'm excited. I know this is I know a lot of people that are going to be excited. I swear though, I don't think I have ever ran into anybody that has actually played any of the miniature games. I know people that like bought it up to read and collect or maybe played the um the video games, but it was always there. Everybody knew what it was because Fossa was so huge. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, uh to overstate that, like, what a big, big company it was. I mean, they were a damn near Games Workshop size. Like, Games Workshop is now, you know, way yeah. back then. And to suddenly just kind of fall on their face and disappear over time, that would re- make a really good documentary. Somebody should do that.
3: Uh, hold- there's, a, there's a series of books that came out in Kickstarter about four or five years ago called Designers and Dragons, or Dungeons and Designers. Designers and Dragons, I think, that actually looked at the gaming industry decade by decade from 75, 85, 95, and 2005, and actually looks at a lot of that stuff. Ah, okay. It's by Evil Hat
0: Productions, apparently. So that's
3: kind of... Sounds right, yeah. Yeah. That was my first Kickstarter backing. And um, yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting read. And you you can read right through the whole thing, or you can go and look at your favorite lines and see... What happened? They they interviewed a whole bunch of people for it as well. It was and did a huge amount of resource, research. So they had some really interesting stuff in there. It's
0: really cool. I'm dig that up. Well, uh, Matt, I really appreciate you talking to me, and I'll probably talk to you again right as the Kickstarter launches or or thereabouts, just to you know, kind of get get people back into it. Because yeah, again, this is my idea. You stole. And, um, <laughs> I, you, you can have it. I want you to succeed and, uh, I want to buy in with this. Now I want to join the patron and, uh, and yeah. So yeah, thank you so much. And for letting me know what a budgie is, which looking it up on the internet, we call those, um, gosh, they're not cockatiels cause they don't have the head thing. I have to look the next time I'm at the, uh, yeah. the pet store as to they're what we call Yeah. Parakeets, something it. like that, yeah. yeah. And but yeah, now a budgie smuggler is a yeah. Okay, it's like a banana hammock. I got you. So
3: that's awesome. We really appreciate you having us on too, and what you're saying about uh, having having stolen the idea. is really interesting that you know you said oh, it'd be great to see someone bring Renegade Legion back, and then you say, oh, they've my idea. Someone's done it with it. Is <laughs> that it was really interesting on. Um, when you look uh, at people chatting on the internet for so many years, people are saying this, there's so many people said, yeah, we'd love to see this come back. And that was why we went, yeah, okay, let's do this. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people who want to play Renegade Legion again and, you know, let's, let's do this. Um, So it's an idea from a lot of people that we want to breathe life into and, you know, make a lot of gamers happy.
0: Yeah. I, I really think they will. And I really think you'll get like a whole new, audience a whole new people into it and because i mean it's it's becoming a big thing you know uh kickstarter they redid uh torg and uh twilight 2000 just ended like a month ago it's all these old games that we used to play or were available to play like in the 90s and they're every everything old is new again so now's a good time (laughs) for it
3: but we we really appreciate you you asking us to be on, and we would love love to come back and talk some more. We um yeah we can't can't thank you enough.
0: Happy to, and um and I wish you the best, and I hope this works. And I want to because I'm gonna be canonized. This is gonna be a thing. I'm gonna do it. All right. Well, uh, good night to you, Matt.
3: Well, good morning to you. Oh yeah, that's true. I'm
0: sorry, you're in the future or the past. Are, yeah. I can't remember.
3: What day dark, is, it, terrible, is it the it, 29th or
0: is it the 31st? There,
3: it's the 31st here, and, and 2021 is when Mad Max was set, so it's Mad Max tomorrow in Australia.
0: Ah, okay. Well, that's a big day. You should, yeah, better prepare for that. So, all right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. See you later. And now we're back through the magic of editing.
2: How's well, your soup? Oh, no, it was I made some chili, cornbread. It was.
1: It was an hour long interview, so you had plenty of time. Yeah, he could
0: could make it and eat it, clean up everything. Uh, So, the first thing I've got on uh, What's on Your Radar, which is this little section where I just talk about things that I just ran into, discover. They don't necessarily have to be new things, they could just be stuff that I was too dumb to not know was already out there. Uh, The first thing I've got is called Sky Tier. And it is a card driven tabletop MOBA, which I'm trying to think. You know, MOBA is like League of Legends and whatever that other one that Valve makes. And what does it Multi- stand
2: Multiplayer Online Battle Arena? Something I, like
0: that? I think so, yeah.
1: That's what it stands for, but this isn't online. This isn't. <laughs> it's literally a, it's, a, it's it's a MOBA cardboard style. game.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a tabletop MOBA. So how is it online? I don't know. We get kind of way too <laughs> metaphysical in that. But uh it's got hexes, it's got miniatures it's got cards what else do you need you know that's it's got pretty much everything in there and uh, the production value is like pretty good in this this is uh, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't Kickstarter maybe it was and I just missed it or yeah it
1: looks like it should be
0: I know it really really does so yeah if it wasn't kickstarted wow you sh- yeah shows that people don't need to kickstart things i don't know but uh and you can actually play it online for free you can oh there you go there's the online there you go i don't know just check it out look in the uh share notes that'll be there it's playskytier.com and oh yeah this is one of this is a thing that has been out but i just did not know was out um gmt is got command and color samurai battles on the p500 and i thought wow that's super cool i love command and colors and i love samurai stuff and uh so yeah this would be great and uh this i want to uh to get this and by
2: by one of our favorite designers richard bergborg
0: really (laughs) oh okay oh yeah that's right because he did the the whole system and uh yeah. <laughs> i also see where zveta games did this uh, years ago uh that's that russian plastic miniature company that occasionally puts out stuff but um yeah i'm really kind of interested in this and we'll oh pick it's it. interesting
1: so there's one there's one game in the uh it's in it's I don't know if it's technically in this series, but it's 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 a commands and colors game. I mean, it might as well be. It's the same system and everything. It's a World War One game by I think it's by PSC. It's called like Great War or something like that. But that's interesting that there's also a Russian group that published a game in this series with miniatures as well. These games, they they lend themselves well to miniatures. They come with blocks, but miniatures, you know, they make them look nicer.
0: Uh, the very first Command & Colors game I ever played was called uh, Battle Cry, and it's gone out of print and come back in print. I think at least twice since I owned my copy. And it was an American Civil War game, and it came with miniatures for the cavalry, the uh, the infantry, and the cannons for it. And I just loved how easy it was to play. And you know as the years went by i discovered oh there's this whole other system and i got i bought into command of colors ancients you know based on that and i've just kind mm-hmm. of been going ever since i have the only one i own now currently is the medieval one and i definitely don't play it as much as i should so there you go. yeah i had
1: ancients but i sold it just because i didn't play it that much
0: me too so uh the next thing i had uh you guys have watched avatar the last airbender right here and there. Oh, holy shit, you guys should just hang up right now and go watch it and then come back. <laughs> it's a really fucking good show. Play, oh, man, play another interview. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's a fantastic show. Um, I mean, especially if you got kids, they'll love it. But uh, there is a fictional game in it called Pie Show, and apparently a bunch of nerds got together and decided to make it, because, I mean, they don't really show how to play it They just show a couple different pieces, characters playing it, they may reference a move here and there, and uh, there's never been anything official. Well, it took it upon, you know, a bunch of nerds to get it together and kind of make a version of Go, which is essentially what it is, called Paisho, and uh, it's based on the uh, game from Avatar The Last Airbender. They even make, like, super nice boards and whatnot for it. There's a whole comprehensive rule list, and, uh, yeah. So, you can check it out. You can see it in the show notes. And if all else fails, please, please watch Avatar The Last Airbender. It Mm -hmm. is so great. I wasn't that big of a fan of Korra, the the sequel, but, um, yeah, the original with its three seasons just holds up so well. It's absolutely fantastic. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, stealing from the Playersaid.com, or the way I like to read their uh, URL, ThePlayersAid.com, <laughs> um, it's their War Game Watch. What is new and upcoming in January of 2021? Um, there were a couple of things on here that I really liked. I don't want to kind of go through the whole list, uh, but I did... Some of the stuff that stuck out was... The first one was... No motherland without North Korea in crisis and Cold War from compass games, which is currently yeah. on Kickstarter,
1: yeah, that's my issue is that it's compass i'm I'm very hesitant with compass games.
0: What makes you hesitate over compass
1: well they've they've had a lot of issues I mean they've had credit card processing issues for one, where they charged a bunch of people for games that they weren't ready to send out. Uh, They've had printing issues. uh, They've had quality issues and their games are really, in my opinion, overpriced. So I usually don't buy compass games unless, you know, I'm not going to buy a compass game before it comes out. We'll just say that. I'm not completely against compass games. I own a few, um, but I'm not going to be jumping on a compass game until I'm sure.
0: Uh, my thing is I've been like, eh, do you really need to kickstart this? Eh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and not to mention, you're, I, I'm with you on being overpriced. However, NWS carries Compass and makes it reasonable. So there's that. Uh, the next one was, there's a, another coin series. I'm sorry. It is just the third. It's a
1: reprint. Yeah. Yes.
0: The reprint mm-hmm. of, uh, Fire in the Lake.
1: Yeah. There are more coin games coming out. I can't remember what the next one is. I want to say maybe Philippines or China. There's, there's, I think, a couple. Those are the next two in the series coming out. But, uh, yeah, this one's just a reprint. This one, uh, yeah, the, the Vietnam game, this is an older one. I've got this game already. So. I thought
0: I thought so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Volca's been after me forever, too. Do my uh, Burger War um, idea <laughs> from the '80s, but I keep telling him I was like, "Man, I don't have time. Um, we'll get to it one day, buddy. Uh, you know, we'll get it." I'm,
2: I'm humming "Right of the Valkyries" in the back of my head.
0: Oh the, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
2: over the cover art on this. Um, uh,
0: the next one I found interesting was Atlantic Wolves from Cam- uh, Canvas Temple Publishing. Wasn't that what we were just talking about? That uh, did the um. Seven years war game uh
1: no that was not okay Okay, that was
0: that was there was canvas okay that is canvas temple publishing oh sorry clash of Arms. clash
1: of arms yes
0: the sea threw me off so there you go (laughs) but uh i'm always fascinated by u-boats and whatnot and so a another solo u-boat game seems pretty cool
1: seems like there's been a lot of uh world war ii submarine and naval games come on lately and yeah. a lot of solo games in particular
0: yeah i guess that's just the way you do them i have the two from gmt and then uh what dan Verson does a couple
1: yeah dan Verson
0: he does an italian he may one. he
1: may do everything solo i don't I, i'm sure i'm wrong about this but i can't think of anything dan verson does that's not solitaire hmm.
0: uh warfighter i don't think well i'm not sh- no i think that is anyway uh, the next one I thought was cool was Devil Boats, PT Boats in the Solomons. And what I really dig about this, and if you, you'll see this in the show notes, you scroll down, and you actually place your crew on certain spots on the boat. So I could just assume that, you know, you may take fire on a certain area and oops Mm. it kills the co and now that affects your morale or you know who else
1: have you played pavlov's house i have not okay pavlov's house you you do that you you set guys up in the building and these guys are on the west wall these guys are on the north wall and you know they can only shoot at stuff coming from the north but if you get hit from the north those guys are going to get taken out and yeah kind of like that
0: and this is a solitaire tactical level war game you as commander will lead a squadron of four u.s navy pt boats on nightly missions against japanese forces in the solomon islands during the months of 1943 so that's what it is and yeah that's the only uh, that's the only other one i actually cared about on there there's a couple more but you know whatever it's just a thing but yeah. and uh, the last thing i have on uh what's on your radar oh that's me tell me there's about a, house rules
2: so there is a board game cafe that is uh opening in grand rapids which i was just made aware of today um have you guys ever gone to like a, a board game cafe or a, you know like a bar nope. i guess is the way there's, you a,
1: there's at least one here in st louis but i've never been to it it's called I pieces
2: ah what uh where was it there in mississippi
0: uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, during the board game renaissance, it started, gosh, what was about eight, ten years ago? They actually started to pop up, even here in Mississippi. I, oh. I'm honestly not sure if any of the ones I'm familiar with are even still open. I think they were all closed even before COVID, so.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so this uh, House Rules place opened in December, which I'm like, Man, it is a risky <laughs> ass time to open a a, a restaurant. Um, but in, uh, whatever. If if it's still around, you know, in a few months, I'll go check it out. All
0: right, um, Roy, I have a question. All right, looking at this website, we'll have this linked in the show notes. This is houseruleslounge dot com. Why am I able to order a case of FAGO? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Isn't that what the it's, uh, it's the Michigan clown posse guys drink? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. Uh huh. Oh, oh, is is that is Fago a Michigan thing? Yeah, that's right. Yes, I forget. Insane Clown Posse is Detroit, and yeah, Fago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sir. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But yes, on their website, I can order card sleeves. I can order Fago. You know, <laughs> it's it's kind of neat. I you
2: so. Know. I guess right now they have um, their retail places open, so you can buy beverages uh, and board games.
0: Yeah. So Okay. That's pretty cool. Uh, I guess my only real concern would be, like, in the time of COVID, is I'm taking this board game and all its accoutrements out of it, and, you know, that maybe some guy coughed all over. Mm-hmm. and, eh, yeah, I, I don't know about
2: Well, it's the same thing of going was, to a board game uh, library. Yes. Yeah, I uh, was
1: I was at Columbia, in Columbia, this is maybe two months ago, because, yeah, we were, we were visiting my daughter at Mizzou at the time, and she's been home for at least a couple months, so maybe three months ago, but it was in the middle of COVID and everything, and mm-hmm. we had some time to kill, so we we rented a board game from the board game library there, and basically, yeah, they're just... Like, when you return the game, they have to sanitize it and everything and take it out of circulation, so... Yeah. I mean, assume it's it's not like I'm going to put it on the shelf and the next person's going to pick it up two minutes later.
2: hmm We don't have any kind of things with our local library like yes. that. It's no. just... Yeah, you just... It's a risk.
0: Now, I have not seen an actual board game library outside of a convention. Oh, no okay yeah i mean if yeah if you guys have them that the
1: miniature market has a great one
0: that would be really cool oh yeah i forget like uh and, and again this is not near me but when i go to like orlando and cool stuff inc yeah. they have one too so yeah in oh, fact
1: okay. roy and i played together at the miniature market using their library mm, yeah ah, Guess we you missed the, out on that, Adam.
0: Uh, the
2: railroad mm-hmm. inc
0: game yeah okay so how big will the uh, board game library be at Historic KC Fest? That's what I want to know. It's how it how, got to be huge. Enormous. I don't want to
1: speak for it, but I'm guessing there won't be one, actually. It'll be as, as large as whatever people whatever bring. Whatever we bring. I think it's that kind Ooh. of con, yeah.
0: Ah, okay. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, the first thing I've got here is... As it slowly loads, Battlestar Galactica Starship Battles has, uh, sorry, Ares Games, Battlestar Galactica Starship Battles has lost its license. So, that sucks. And I'm here to tell you, like, uh, with all the reshuffling that there has been with Fantasy Flight and Asmodee, a lot of people are very afraid of buying into stuff like Star Wars Legion or whatever, because they're scared that all of a sudden the Star Wars license is just going to be yanked out from under them. And then the game's dead. So I first saw this game a couple of years ago, uh, board game geek con in Dallas. And I thought it was really neat. I mean, it's essentially it's X-Wing basically, uh, but in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're, yeah, really... they've got
1: a few of those. They've got wings of glory and they've got the D and D game with the flying dragons around. And a few of those that are all more or less the same game.
0: Well, I mean, as far as I know, somebody's going to correct me and scream at their radio um, or their iPod. Or <laughs> their whatever. radio. Yeah. Scritching... If you're listening to our
1: podcast on their radio, please Twitter me. Cause I want to see how you do that.
0: Yeah. It could be cool. <laughs> but, um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Wings of Glory invented that whole mechanic. And that's where you get X-Wing, you get, you know, Sails of Glory, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, on
1: and on. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about the naval ones, but yeah, those two.
0: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure they invented that, but which is Ares Games. And so it's natural that they were able to roll that into um, Battlestar Galactica, Which, I mean, it kind of sucks because the miniatures and all look really good. And, you know, I guess people buy them up to use for some other game. But, you know, it happens. Uh, The next thing we had, this is a really weird thing. But uh, it kind of made me laugh. So this young lady named Jojo Siwa, S-I-W-A, Uh, responds to board game controversy saying she had no idea about the inappropriate content in her game. And, you know, this is, uh, the poor girl, I mean, this just happens. Uh, You know, you're on a TV show, you're controlled by Nickelodeon or whoever, of course they're just gonna crank stuff out in your name, you know, and without running anything by you, because odds are you don't have any control. Odds are, you know, Nickelodeon controls it all and just pays you, but this, uh, she's apparently 17 years old, and, uh, there's a children's board game uh, that has some gross and inappropriate things it says the Nickelodeon branded game which is marketed to children aged 6 and older uh, includes playing cards in its truth or dare category with questions such as, have you ever gone outside without underwear? a bathing suit doesn't count and have you ever been arrested so <laughs> uh, yeah it's just yeah i i you know i wonder how this even got produced you know it it just seems funny to me like somebody's like oh quick we have to throw in a truth or dare component uh let me write this up down and just yeah there you go <laughs> yeah, no,
2: yeah. have you ever fatally stabbed a hobo
1: yes yes <laughs> you know do you like to watch gladiator movies <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen a grown man naked?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to see if I can get a copy of this game and bring it to uh, Historic KC Fest. That, that, we could do that. We could do, I mean, okay, I mean,
1: I, I guess... I don't know if I'm more disturbed by the questions or by the fact that there's a board game based on a YouTube star.
0: Is she a YouTube star? Not not even TV? Uh, okay, which I don't know. Maybe nowadays that's, that's even... Uh, even bigger but i don't know
2: she wants to get in on that rebecca black cash
0: (laughs) and it's called jojo's juice why jojo's (laughs) juice game i mean i i swear you probably want to clear
1: your search history after tonight's episode
0: let's see uh wow are you an
1: urban dictionary
0: oh no just a lot of stuff pops up it's just funny that uh about the game uh so let me hit the shopping thing and see if it's available uh, no. And she has a whole bunch of other ones. She has Bust a Bow. Uh, she has the Dance Dice Game. And, uh, a couple more. I think more. you need
1: to interview her, Adam.
0: No, I don't know. <laughs> That'd just be <laughs> weird. Uh, it would be funny, though. Like, yeah, she's like, oh, yes, I play Advanced Squad Leader and, you know, blah, blah, you never know. It's like yes, on tour I go out to different clubs and yeah, it's the whole thing, play. Uh, but yeah, okay. If historic KC fest was like next week, I would get a copy of this and we we would uh play it uh there at the con. It would sounds be sounds like an
1: evening game after we've had several drinks.
0: Yeah, it would be entertaining. <laughs> it would be entertaining. But see, by the time that happens, if it happens in like six months from now, uh, we would have already forgotten about the controversy. So. I'm sure another controversial game will happen by then, uh, and if all else fails, I can get a copy of like what is it, Dream Phone? Whatever it is, one of those. Dumb I like games. the. Uh,
1: I can't My- remember what it's Mystery called.
0: Day. Yeah, Mystery Date. Yeah.
1: I, I kind of like the uh, the the Lolita Eastern Front game that you told me about.
0: Oh, Barbarossa. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I could bring that. It's. I mean, <laughs> it's the weird thing is, it's like it's a legit card game they just like reskinned it with anime girls which is ridiculous because you have like you know it's like sexy mussolini there's sexy rommel you know all this stuff in there is there
1: any other kind
0: i guess you know whatever but uh yeah that's that's in there i'll try to remember that uh the next thing we had was i saw the title for this and it just caught my eye embryo machine Brings the mecha battles of Gundam and Evangelion to the tabletop. And apparently this is a really popular game in Japan that is going to be translated and kickstarted with a new edition landing next month. And uh yeah, I'm just assuming Embryo Machine is some kind of weird um translation thing. I don't know. But a lot of animes have really weird game uh names like that. So, you know. Basically this is a card game, you have a mech. And then you, it's a deck builder and where you draft cards and you like, you either get attacks or like more guns and shit. And so there you go. And it says the battles take place on a board divided into a grid, which players use to maneuver their EM and attack their opponents using obstacles and terrain on the battlefield to their advantage. So, I mean, basically, yeah, it's going to be big robots fight each other. So plus it has a weird name. I'm assuming when the Kickstarter launches we'll um we'll see that and uh talk more about it. Uh the next thing I've got is kind of late because this is more of a uh Christmas thing. Uh have you guys ever heard of Mari Lude? I had not. It is a Welsh uh fairy tale, folklore, legend, whatever you call it. Anyway, it's uh this thing that shows up like during during the season, and it, it is a spooky, shrouded creature with a horse's skull for a head. It either shows up during Christmas or the New Year, uh, depending on how much the local church freaks out about its presence, and carols at doorways to people's houses, demanding entrance using Welsh rhymes. And you have to. Um, Offer the creature hospitality, usually in the form of alcohol and cheese.
1: Uh, but I guarantee this gets started with some drunk guy like 800 years ago.
0: It had to be <laughs> like he was like really. Some, just... He
1: put on a horse skull and he just wanted some some ale and cheese. <laughs> yeah, not this shit. Bring me some of that camembert.
0: <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's uh, I'll link a better article on like what it is, but it it goes it has a, like a, there's deeper lore to it. It's like, you have to best it in poetry or it comes inside or, or, or you have to let it inside. So it's like, essentially you're engaging in this, in a rap battle with this <laughs> uh, horse skull thing that um wants your beer and cheese. So, you know, there you go. That, that's what you got to do, and all that to say.
1: I am totally on board with this.
0: Yes, I mean, I, that's. I really want to start this tradition here, but I, in Mississippi. But I'm sure. I want to put.
1: I want to put shot. Mary lewd and Krampus and the Bleakin all together.
0: The oh, I, for, I forgot about the Bleakin from Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I was like, oh, you never heard of you ever heard of the Bleakin? <laughs> you ever heard of the Bleakin? <laughs> oh, I used to have. Ah, put it somewhere. I've been cleaning out my office. Anyway, I had the best Teddy keychain from uh, Bob's Burgers. I'll send you guys a picture later because it's my favorite. Yeah, the way they actually did the keychain, they did his eyes too big, so yeah, it looks really <laughs> weird. Ah, so um, all that to say is they're actually bringing in stats for the Mary Lude to uh, Pathfinder. So there you go. Uh, the next thing we have is, essentially, droids are getting specialists in Star Wars Legion. They are getting the Separatist specialist, And I did see several people that actually watch these shows get really excited about them. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. Because I don't watch the cartoons. But there is a T-series tactical droid... Mm-hmm. and uh, the one people were, were really excited about was that weird flying droid in the back.
1: Is that a probe droid?
0: I don't think it's a probe droid. What do they call that stupid thing? Um, uh, Like a Reaper droid, something like that?
2: Is it, are those the sort of thing that they're with uh, Darth Maul? Uh, it
1: looks like that, but it looks... If you've seen uh, Clone Wars, it looks more like... Like the episode where they were on
0: It's a Viper droid. Viper the recon planet. Droid. That's what it is.
1: Yeah.
0: Reaper, mm-hmm. Viper, same thing. So uh yes, that, that is what that is. And they were releasing really They're
1: releasing about it. a lot of content for Legion. It's a good thing.
0: I, that that's very true. And um, you know, we hope that continues and uh we hope they don't lose the license. Hmm. And uh yeah, but we'll see. But uh, I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Been going pretty long. I guess the longer show with the uh, hour-long interview. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's the end of the show. Did you guys learn anything? What did you guys learn?
1: From this show? From this show. What was my big takeaway from this show? Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, I learned that it's my turn in Board Game Arena.
0: Oh yeah, that we're waiting on you.
1: Waiting for me. I'm holding uh-huh. everything up.
0: Wait, uh, it's not waiting for Guffman. It's waiting for Richard. So.
1: No, I, I just need to figure out how to play.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so I guess that's it. So good night, folks.
1: Good night, everyone.
2: Bye bye. Be nice to each other. Please. That too. Yeah.